Welcome to your Big Girls Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Mom Chaku. And I'm Luna. This month, we're excited to welcome back our friend Puppet. Puppet's been a frequent guest on the podcast. He's uh, also a member of the poll team. He used to do the chapter bingos and also worked as a translator. So Puppet, it's really good to have you back. Thanks for having me on again. It's always a blast. We're also excited to have longtime Tumblr meta writer Hamliet join us. Welcome, my friend. It's good to have you on the podcast. Hey, I'm really excited to be here. So we always kick things off with our chapter impressions. Just take a minute to uh, give our love it, hate it, any disappointments, how would we rate it? So Puppet, why don't we start with you? What were your chapter impressions? Yeah, I really enjoyed the chapter. The initial group I went to go talk to about it with after I finished it was a lot more negative, which made me think the fandom overall was. You calling us out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you showed up eventually in that group. But the the poll uh, has been open a few days, and it seems to be showing that the chapter is pretty popular. Not the most popular we've ever done. I think it's around 13th right now for chapters we've pulled. But uh, it has a lot of fours and fives, so I'm glad to see the fandom reacting positively, even some pockets who typically might not like the kind of things this chapter had to offer. And what about you, Hamliet? What did you think? Yeah, I had a really strong positive reaction at first, too. And like, looking back at it, I'm like, yeah, there like I read some criticisms from friends. And I was like, yeah, I can see where those criticisms are coming from and don't necessarily disagree. But overall, I still have like a quite a positive opinion. Like I think I would have said like four out of five. Okay, Luna, what about you? Um, apparently I was, um, part of the group puppet, uh, saw the initial, uh, reactions <laughs> <laughs> off. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised at how positively this chapter is being received by the fandom because I wouldn't put it at like, haha pie levels of bad, but it, to me, it was not a good chapter. And I think even, you know, looking at how many chapters there are left, this might have actually been the final straw for me and saying like I don't think this story will have a satisfying ending that being said there were some things I did really enjoy in this chapter so I wasn't like a complete you know crap fest for me but uh I think yeah I gave it a two out of five on the chapter poll rating what about you mom taku what was your reaction <laughs> Well, I was part of the group railing on it too, because I just think that's fun. Like, that's what we do. We get the chapter and we complain <laughs> violently sometimes. But yeah, I've been working really hard the last week to kind of separate my own personal disappointment from the actual content. So I think this chapter disappointed me, not because of the content exactly, more like I just, it, it sort of changed my vision of the series. I was always one of those people who was kind of optimistic about how the ending was going to happen and, and just seeing all those races trampled to death. Like I just, I never, I should have seen it coming, but like you always say, Luna, wrong manga, <laughs> right? Like I, I clearly misinterpreted something along the way. So yeah, it was a, it was a hard one for me. It was really hard for me. And I don't know, like, I feel like in some ways my joy has been sucked from the series, but I want to get it back. And that's one reason why I really wanted Puppet and Hamlet as guests, because I, from talking to them and reading Hamlet's post, I knew that they, they saw it a little differently. And I, I want to get some of my, my happiness back. So thanks again for joining us. I'm very happy Puppet and Hamlet are here too, because obviously they're part of the, the majority. So 
You guys deserve to be heard. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, with something you just said, Montaku, made me think of something I said. Do you remember I talked about like the original Final Fantasy VII ending? I know. Yeah, where the entire world got destroyed and then the ending scream. Spoiler alert for Final Fantasy. (sighs) If you haven't played it by now, you're never... (laughs) Anyway, there's a meteor, hits the planet, destroys everything, and then you have the final screen, and then you hear the laughter of children. Which, if this chapter is any indication... I mean, we did have a really big focus on babies and young kids and parent-child relationships. Didn't we? We really did. (laughs) Almost like it's a major theme. Yeah, almost like children are a theme. Who would have ever thought that? Yep. Anyway, so that was my prediction a long time ago. Like, yeah, full annihilation, but there will be some hope at the end. I didn't want that. And now I'm thinking, yep, I I sort of, I immediately thought about you when I saw that. And, you know, that, that how much grimmer my vision of the ending has gotten. But apparently, Puppet and Hamlet are like, yay, this is good, fun times. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm joking. It's more like it just like went with my, it went pretty much was like exactly what I expected to happen, which is just, there's a lot of destruction, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like, there's no hope or even that Aaron will succeed in his entire vision. And I don't think he will. I think it had something for no matter... Uh, no matter which side of the, of the debate you fall on. It had rumbling destruction. If you're like, yay, genocide, I love Aaron <laughs> killing everyone. It had uh, the Alliance showing up as the hope of humanity if you are like, if you want them to win. So I think uh, everyone has something to be satisfied from, even if you don't like the way certain things were handled. It had world building. Yay. Meet great people in far off lands and watch them die instantly. World mm-hmm. building or destroying. <laughs> yeah. And of course, it had that very first page, Historia. So So does this mean that you have to wear a shirt with a design by Renan's Choice? So we should probably explain that. So obviously, I was Mm. one of the more vocal proponents of fake pregnancy. And somebody in our podcast server, Renan, and I did a wager on it. I was convinced enough that it was a fake pregnancy that... um, I would do something kind of humiliating if I lost the wager. So I, I, I don't know that he's decided what my I, – I'm not ready to concede yet. I, I am still – I'm just not – I'm not there yet. You're like but Trump. You're, you're not bet, conceding. <laughs> I'm not conceding yet. So do you need like a press conference outside for Seasons Landscaping? <laughs> yeah. I concede. It will be in front of – In a sex shop next door and you'll be like, no, the pregnancy is fake. I <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Pennywise the clown is in this chapter. I think a fake pregnancy is possible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I, I'm not ready to concede on it yet. I'm still waiting for a twist. Anyway, I guess I feel like I've already talked out on this topic just online and on uh, Andrew All-Star's uh, chapter discussion. So I would love to hear somebody's thoughts beyond my own. Hamliet, were you surprised by this development? No. Um, so I I mean, I would have in some ways liked for it to be a fake pregnancy, but I never really thought it was. At the same time, I'm not like 
to introduce it with one with one page of Historia in horrible pain, like crying out, but we can't even hear whether she's saying anything or not. Um, and just like having a crowd of people who don't know her as a person around, like around her like cottage or whatever. The farmer con who doesn't like even know her very well, presumably, because we haven't seen that any of that in the room. And like, it just, it felt really lonely. It felt really objectifying. That was my biggest complaint about the chapter was that page. I didn't like it at all. What about you, Puppet? I think that Isiama will eventually reveal something about it that will make it a little bit better and give some character reason for Historia that is more congruent with the Historia we know and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's hinted at in one thirty when we get kind of half the conversation between her and Aaron, but he was kind of teasing us and not showing us all, the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. That said, his handling of it in the interim period has still been really, really poor, and it won't be worth it even if he does have a reveal like that. It reminds me a little bit of how he handled Annie and Ymir, uh, Ymir particularly. She had a problem in the story because if she had not gotten taken out of the story, she could have just told our main cast about all the secrets of Marley, and that was too early for that reveal. And so he took her out, and then what do you know, as soon as we got that information, the next chapter we got more on Ymir and her backstory. So I think it's similar with Historia, where if we did actually get anything more substantial with her, it would ruin the plot twist that Sam has coming. But like I said, I still don't think it'll be worth it in the end with how he's handled her thus far. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I think this chapter made me realize that I've maybe been giving Isayama a bit too much credit when it comes to writing women. Because I was always quite pleased with how he handled things and shying away of the, you know, more sexist representation his peers have when it comes to female characters. But thinking about it, I always thought, or well, this past week, I thought his male characters, Reiner, Aaron, Zeke, Grisha even, you know, they got a lot of backstory, they got a lot of weight to them, and then the female characters are kind of just there until they're not. <laughs> and I don't want to minimize, you know, the the efforts that he's done, because obviously Historia went through a lot of development in, what's it called again, the Uprising arc. <laughs> and I'd say there's a lot that he did well with Gabby. But I think overall there's, yeah, it's not like he absolutely doesn't know how to write women, but there's there's part of me that thinks he doesn't give them the same time of day or at least the same attention he does his male characters. Especially with Historia at this point, it's, I'm, I'm not enjoying it. Um, I did like her talk with Aaron because it, reminded me that Emir, Freckle Emir, did have a big influence on her life. But I'm kind of missing that in all her actions since the time skip, basically. Yeah, we've had 26 chapters and four lines. And I knew, I think I even said it last month, that if Historia was in this chapter, this is gonna, it was going to be a shock value type thing. I was really hoping she would be the one to kick off the new volume because I thought that would give Isayama chance to step away from the action, which was very exciting, and instead focus on developing her a little bit. I think she and Zeke both being kind of teased and held at arm's length. Historia now for 26 months, and Zeke since the past chapters in the 20s. As as somebody that reads the series every month, it, it gets exhausting. And I think that that's the comment in, in my discussions of this, I have yet to meet anybody who says it's been well done. 
which I'm glad about. Nobody has said, wow, this is great. They all agree it's kind of skeevy or whatever. The second most common thing I've gotten is just people just don't care anymore. Like she's been gone too long. At this point, it's just whatever. But it's like too long, not enough. I, I do think that Isayama in general sometimes when he's holding on to these reveals has a really hard time balancing his urge to keep all his cards hidden close to his chest and you know, just a little bit more information to keep the audience interested. And like, I, I was it you, Papa, that was saying it or, or Luna about it feels like Annie again. Annie just didn't matter for so long. And when she came back, it was nice to see her, but kind of like that ship had sailed. Although actually this time the ship did sail, didn't it? <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> Hamliet, you've written a little bit about this. I haven't touched the Historia subject. Like I, I just haven't even addressed it. Any thoughts on what happens next? So I have so many asks in my inbox about Historia, and I'm honestly like ignoring the vast majority of them because I'm like, there's not a lot to answer. Like my opinions are pretty much the same in that I don't, I don't think she'll die. I think the only way she could have important impact on the plot at this point is just to like do something with Emir Fritz, but I don't even know whether we have enough time for that to even make it like emotional and like emotionally impactful for her character at this point. But my guess is that she'll have the baby and her ending will be to like live and like live happily with her child or something. But I don't know. It's, it's the other thing that I could see happening is that one of the Titans titan characters dies most likely like either piek or zeke and the baby is inherits it somehow and they somehow know this from some i don't know how that would work but i'm sure it would happen at some point um and then like Mm -hmm. that is motivation for or like for historia to enter the paths and be like erin stop this Hmm. but i don't love that idea it's just something that i can see happening because at this moment, it's like called like even the chapter's title is like the depths of despair. And so like it's the like nadir, like the lowest point in the story. And so I would hope that like, okay, things have to start looking up for the last few chapters, I would assume. So I'm hoping this is Historia's low point as well. Because I don't see how we can get worse. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading some meta on Tumblr. Somebody talked about Historia kind of being like shoehorned into a thematic message that didn't necessarily fit her character. Was that you? I'm not sure it was me. I think I did allude to that, but I think other people have said similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I felt like like my worst case scenario for her right now is just that she has a baby and lives on to be a good mom, but she like that's all it is. It's like a symbolic, the world continues type thing. And that is something I just really don't want because she never wanted to be, the whole point of her character was that she didn't want to be a symbol. So Mm -hmm. that would be an ending that I find absolutely horrific. See, I'm sounding super negative right now, but I actually (laughs) don't feel very negative about the chapter. I promise, guys, they like the chapter. I promise. (laughs) If you visit my blog, you'll find that critique is like one of my favorite things. So that's why I'm like generally heavy on the critique, but I really liked it. Actually, if you don't mind, let me go ahead and plug you. Which fandoms are you involved in? I'm involved in Bungo Stray Dogs, Boku no Hero Academia, SNK, obviously, and Moshang Tongshu novels. Mm-hmm. 
And you've written for Banana Fish, and I mean, yes. your your fandom Banana list. Fish, uh, Game of Thrones, Tokyo Ghoul. Tokyo Ghoul was my first one that I started mm-hmm. writing essays on. I, in theory, could write for anything if, like, if I've if I've seen it. So. <laughs> I um, am marvel at how how many things you write about, and you write so well about them. So, just a plug for Hamlet. We will link to her Tumblr page in our description. If any of those fandoms are ones that you are interested in, you will find any number of posts discussing the anchors. I, like, I read the first part of Tokyo Ghoul, but I feel like I kept on top of it because I follow you. And okay. uh, like I got the best parts of the series from Tokyo Ghoul from you. So I do appreciate that about you. Okay. So Puppet, do you have anything <laughs> to add about Historia? Do you have any silver lining to the part of the chapter I hate more than anything else? Any theories about how this could end well? No pressure or anything. <laughs> the pressure is more on Isayama than me because he has to actually come up with it. I'd say for our perspective, we should just wait and see on Isayama and we can criticize him in the meantime, obviously. But uh, I do think we'll get an answer that is uh, better than some answers people have theorized, especially early on in the pregnancy. Yeah, the both of you have more hope for a satisfying ending for his story than I do at this point because... I have absolutely no idea what, yeah, what's in store for her, what her purpose is, what her story narrative is going to be. And I don't think we'll be seeing much of her until the end of the manga, honestly. I mean, we're at the end of the manga, though. How, we've got four chapters. Exactly. So we're in the action now. I don't think he's going to take us away from the action, take a break from that. I feel like he does that all the time, though. Honestly. I know, but we only have four mm. chapters, <laughs> probably. I feel like it could be mixed in with an epilogue of sorts. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, more Aaron point of view. And some people would say the two are entangled. Aaron and Historia point of view might be the same chapter. I mean, mm. at the least, we know they had that conversation. So th- that could be the case there, whatever the relationship is. So I feel like we'll get answers on that. Like the last final big mystery of this mystery series will be held off until until the final chapter or two. And the big mystery being, who's the daddy? Or <laughs> That's another thing Mom was saying about uh, certain things getting old and the fandom just grows tired of it, like Annie being in the crystal as well as the Historia pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like the baby daddy, who's the father discussions were fun for like a month or two. It got old quick. Even the parts of the fandom that love those series the most are just old. Everyone has their opinions. We just want answers. I do wonder if it's even going to be answered. I think that we're supposed to assume it's Farmer Coon and it just might be left at that. And yeah, I don't know that there's ever going to be any huge reveal that, I mean, I think it's, I, oh, well, my ever pessimistic view is that the people that feel like Aaron is the father will will never be given clear enough evidence to dissuade them from that theory. It could end up similar to the uh, Aaron saying, have, have you seen me eat our dad yet to Zeke? You know, because some people are theorizing that could mean that we'll go back to that and get some big thing. And if we mm-hmm. don't, we can just assume that Grisha changed his mind because he heard Carla died. You know, there's room for a big twist, but it could also be just a, a basic thing that the story's provided already. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I am curious, though, because we haven't mentioned it in a long time, but we did that, you know, guessing game where we ask everyone who follows us to take this little, well, poll, I should say, to guess who is going to die and who's going to live by the end of the series, and a couple of other questions. Who did you guys answer uh, was in the final panel? 
if you took it, that is. <laughs> Maybe I should have led with that. I have a very unpopular answer, so I probably shouldn't say it. <laughs> no, you should say it. Let's hear it. Montaga, you feel like you know, I, I think it's John. Right. I do too, actually. For some reason in the manga, they are supposedly look similar enough where John can dress himself up like Aaron at different times, even though I think they look nothing alike. <laughs> um, so that could be the reason it resembles Aaron. And John had recently had like daydreams about a child. And then there's the whole John and Mikasa thing. It's funny that John and Aaron are compared to looking similar. And then everyone says John looks like a horse face. Doesn't that kind of insult Aaron too? <laughs> I would say John is third most likely in my mind. I don't think it's that much of a of a crack theory. I used to say Aaron, and I think that's what I put on the poll, which I bombed, by the way. Like, I got all the deaths wrong. Like, the next chapter, a bunch of people died who I didn't mark or something like that. <laughs> so I used to think it's Aaron. I now think it's Grisha in a flashback, but I'm not confident in anything about that. Who's the second most likely one, then? Uh, I would be Aaron. I mean, Grisha first, and then Aaron, and then John. I still think okay. Aaron's possible. Yeah. And I, I like the idea of Grisha and John, but then the baby, the, you know, that here, look, there is a baby. Let me put a glow around the baby. Let me put more glow around the baby. You know, like I was just like, I, I know probably wishful thinking, but now I'm, now I'm not sure, but I was um, either Grisha or John. And I think it's the baby from this chapter that was crowd surfing. But you think the baby in the final panel is the baby or the adult is the baby grown up with its own baby? <laughs> Ooh, baby inside your baby. That sounded really wrong, by the way. Now that I think about it, like I would love for there to be a twist on the baby in the final, and I, I feel like um, that's another realization I've had is that I keep thinking, oh, there'll be a twist. Oh, there'll be a twist, and there's just never a twist. You know, Aaron's motivation. Oh, there'll be a twist. And I'm just so tired of waiting for twists that I I feel <laughs> defeated about that as well. So, oh, boy, I'm a joy this month. <laughs> Has anyone died since Hanji, by the way? I don't think major characters. No. No. And in fact, uh, me and Crunch, one of the uh, pull team, we're looking through the past several chapters and 133 is the last chapter since 111 to not have any on-screen death. And 111 was the first one since before the festival. Oh, okay. Well, listen, it might still work out in your favorite puppet, depending on who lives and dies and what we presume will be the last volume of this manga. You could win some nice merch. <laughs> How's that? Is everybody so hosed that even like, because I know I gave up, <laughs> like mine is so, so far gone at this point. Oh, mine is still a-okay. Oh. Except for Magath. Magath I got wrong. But everyone else, Hanji, I said dead. Who else has died? Shadis. That one I got correct, so. As in Samuel and Flock. That's oh, Flock, yeah, for sure. Did mm. anyone say Flock would live? <laughs> Marking Samuel is dead. It would have been a Chad move because he was marked dead in the guidebook already. So marking a dead character as being alive and then dead would have been an absolute baller theory. I didn't realize that. So he was resurrected just to get killed again. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Like the wiki would have gone back and edited him to be alive, but he died the same chapter. So it didn't really change anything. <laughs> I hope the wiki at least put a note that, you know, he was dead and then alive and then dead again, because that's pretty cool. I'm sure they added that. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I think that's all we have to say about that. Unless Mom Taka wants to complain some more. I'm done. I am done. Good. <laughs> I, we just going to tear that page out of my volume when I get it and not talk about it anymore. <laughs> okay. So next up was uh, more of the rumbling. And it seems like the rumbling has finally, in my opinion, I think, passed beyond Marley and to the rest of the world. Uh, we see London with a very uh, African population, which I love. Mm -hmm. And we saw some more Asians. And we saw the whole field full of people trying to flee away from the rumbling. What do you guys think about the inclusion of like more countries and geographic locations and the people there, what they look like and how they are dealing with the situation at hand? It reminded me of that old army joke, you know, join the army, travel to exotic distant lands, meet exciting people and kill them. It was like, wow, great seeing this. And then, <laughs> oh, well, you know, that was fun. I, I felt like it was... Maybe it was just me. I'm curious what you guys think. I found it a little bit gratuitous. It was like, I don't know that I needed to see it. I mean, it parts of me enjoyed it. Like Black London is great. And the fact that they seemed very affluent and wealthy. And, you know, I would have loved to spend more time in Black London. But instead, we just saw them being smashed. Yeah, I think that was something that I didn't necessarily react to the first time I read it. But looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, I feel like, again, it's, Isayama's pacing striking again in that I don't think that all the panels were super necessary. Like I think the, what was it, chapter like 131, where we saw Aaron's mind and he was just like killing everyone. I think that was kind of enough to get the whole idea of the rumbling. Like I'm not sure that we needed all of this, but I think it again reinforces that Isayama wanted a chapter of despair. <laughs> yeah, I think this is not necessarily about the gruesomeness of the rumbling. I think that one was reserved for 131. This is more to, to illustrate the scope of it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think it was the most necessary thing that Isayama has ever drawn, but <laughs> I didn't necessarily mind it. It depends on, like, if I find, like, the rest of the chapters seeming, like, kind of rushed, I'll probably have, like, slightly more negative feelings on it. But right now, I'm okay with it, so... <laughs> The best thing about uh, the London we saw is that it raises the chances for John Boyega to be cast in the dub as Anyankapan. <laughs> yes. Because he's British, and so he could use his default accent. And he's recently been tweeting about Anyankapan, so we'll see. I mean, we know he wants you, right? He did. He, he tweeted yeah. a picture of Anyankapan and was like, uh, Mappa, you have one job. I mean, it was yeah. he, <laughs> he's in. We got John Boyega in. Let's do it. <laughs> Looking at the poll for uh, for the different locations, we asked which of the new locales have you found most interesting, and I've seen the most discussion about London. It, it, it's the most exciting to me personally, so I was expecting it to be bigger in the poll. It's number two right now behind the cliffside of chaos by 6%, which, I mean, that was just like a flat plane with a cliff. The cliffs itself are cool enough, I guess. It's kind of like the cliffs of Dover in England, though if this is the same England-type place that London is we just saw, I don't know why everyone in London is black and everyone, you know, I don't know how far away the cliffs of Dover are, but, you know, just over the fence, everyone there is white. I don't know what's up with that. But uh, the cliffside of chaos is apparently more exciting than wow. London. Mm, I wonder if the people who voted for that saw also the, the Where's Waldo. Uh... Pennywise? Yeah. Well, there's more than just there was Wolverine in there. 
there's Wolverine. I think Rorschach from Watchmen might have been there. <laughs> have you like, seen that yeah. yet, Hamlet? Have you seen that somebody went through that crowd and actually found unmistakable Pennywise? I saw the Pennywise thing, but uh, I did like go and find out. But I didn't see Wolverine or the others. <laughs> yeah, I was like Pennywise actually kind of like okay. It's a little. It's definitely a meme, but it's also kind of like well. The whole point in it is that Pennywise is like something that like preys on children. So you could tie it thematically to the story. <laughs> when they were all holding the baby up, I was like, no, put it back down. Pennywise is right there. He's going to eat it. <laughs> I know in the poll server, we discussed this pretty extensively, whether or not to include it. And I think me, you and Crunch and uh, Humble was involved as well. We were all more disgusted with it than anything. So we left it out. Uh, and I think it was you that brought out the fact that the director of it is the one that was slated to direct the live action movie. It could have been a nod to him. And I'd, I'd known that at one time, but I'd forgotten it. So if that was a nod to him and to the connection between you know the live action, whatever, I find it slightly more forgivable, but it's still one of those things that kind of just made me, it just it was a very bitter taste in my mouth to see humor injected into that moment. It, it's disappointing to me that the Hollywood movie seems to have fallen through a little bit. The it director, Andy, I don't want to butcher his last name, uh, is uh, seems to be moving on to other projects because I think he would have been a great choice. I mean, Pennywise has a great mix of horror and humor, which the Titans themselves have, especially in early seasons, like running around looking goofy, dancing, but they're still terrifying. And that's basically what he captured with Pennywise from the It movies. So it would have been a good way to handle the Titans if he was involved. Hmm. Yeah, we haven't had any updates on the movie whatsoever, right? For the past year, at least? Yeah, I don't think since they announced that he was attached to it, we haven't had any updates. Hmm. Yeah, I think I was on board, um, or I felt the same way as Puppet did when I first found out about Pennywise being in that crowd. I was like, eh, that's a bit too much. But I think at the moment, it's just like a fun Easter egg. You know, in, in the yeah, only work to a... the director, like, because I didn't really notice it on my first read through. And you kind of have to look at the page, like, in, in detail, like, scan all the people to really notice him standing there. Yeah, I wish I had been blessed with ignorance yeah. on it. Uh, now all of our listeners have to know about it, too. Yeah. But yeah, when I first found out about it, I went on a super long rant about <laughs> uh, not liking when Isayama ruins the world and memes like this. <laughs> And I promise you guys, yeah, they I'm really do like this chapter. I promise. I promise. <laughs> so, Puppet, you didn't appreciate having the um, attack on uh, high school cast in the memory shard either, I guess? I'm fine with memes that don't really ruin things in world, you know, if they make sense. Like, there was that one kid in Marley who was making a face from a meme or something. That's fine, because kids make funny faces. Or when Titans look like actors, you know, like the Game of Thrones cast or Better Call Saul or the voice actors. You know, that's fun. Titans can look funny. But when literally Pennywise and Wolverine are there, it kind of ruins it for me. And uh, the cast on Titan thing, like that's a fun spinoff. I like it. But being somehow canon to the story is a little bit weird. And I like memes if they make sense. And if they don't make sense, well, I just don't like things that don't make sense, I guess. <laughs> Maybe the people on that cliff were from like, were having like a cosplay. Yeah, a convention <laughs> right before, before being driven yeah. off the cliff. <laughs> You fixed it for me. Thank you. <laughs> because we do know clowns are part of Marleyan culture, so it uh, it fits. I will say this um, 
you know, the double spread with um, all the colossals coming and, you know, you have the enormous sea of people falling down the cliffs. That was one of my favorite panels this entire chapter, if not, no, not my favorite, but one of my favorite. Because of, like, uh, what the chapter title said, this gave me the feeling of despair. This is like, you know you're going to die and there is no escape. You're stuck. You know, the people falling off the, or jumping off the cliffs reminded me a bit of, you know, people jumping out of the Twin Towers um, because they didn't want to burn to death. So that gave me that same feeling of dread and despair. Yeah, as I had when I saw that for the first time. Did you guys have the same emotions with this panel or any other panel in this chapter, for that matter? Yeah, I also kind of had that reaction to that panel. I think it was also one of my favorites, this chapter. And I think it was, like, it's kind of symbolic of the series in, like, a lot of ways in that Paradise Island has basically been, like, Titans are marching towards them and there's no place to go besides the walls for a while and then like now it's the now it's just the dynamic is reversed um to the rest of the world but the people are still they still want to a lot of the people still want to live they're trying to save the children through the baby and just they're doing what they can um to survive and still fighting even when things look hopeless so it gave me despair but also kind of like an okay there's some light there (laughs) yeah i had some similar thoughts about the baby being saved Although I initially didn't catch the babies of the future motif that upon rereading, he's pretty clearly going forward with the story and then this and then showing the mother at Fort Salta holding a baby. I just thought it was, you know, uh, that mother wanting a baby to be saved and everyone coming together in that moment of despair, which I'm sure most people have noticed this by now. But that mother was a pregnant mother that Aaron saw when he was in Marley. We can see in 131. Isayama's oh. really good at bringing back every single minor character, you know, Kaya, Luis, all them. Unless your name is Rico, then you don't <laughs> exist anymore. I looked at that, and it does look like her. Like, that's just, that's, yeah. Wow. I didn't notice that. That makes it so much worse that this new mom that was smiling with her partner a couple chapters ago is now being forced off the cliff. Like, it just, I, I can't even, uh What's your Spider-Man 2 reference? Maybe that'll make me feel better. Uh, yeah, some people are are guessing that the baby might be saved. Like if the Alliance is able to stop Aaron before the Colossals get to the cliffside, we'll like flash back and see who the baby was saved. It uh, It's a thing in story sometimes that they'll give you like a specific, like a very specific person that can be saved by like the superhero's actions to give you some connection. And this was done not very well in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. In the whole movie, Aunt May has this relevant storyline where she's like working as a nurse. And so while Spider-Man's fighting Electro at the power plant at the end of the movie in the climax, uh, we, we're anchored to Aunt May. Like, oh no, her power went out and all her patients are going to die. And there's also two random planes that are going to collide because their power went out or something. And like we're flashing back between those and the final fight. And no one really cares about either of those. And so I feel like if we go back and the baby saved, it would kind of remind me of that where trying to anchor us to something but we're be more interested in the final fight yeah i think that's fair as well not to say i hope the baby dies but. <laughs> <laughs> i guess for me like i don't see how the baby lives okay they saved it 
for a few minutes, they tossed it back. You know, those titans are right there. And maybe it was you, Puppet, who mentioned that if this goes to Paths Realm next, that time stops. And if they defeat Eren in Paths, that was it you? Am I quoting you or somebody else? Uh, I think that was either Humble or Crunch. That okay. Was someone else. Okay, I it was somebody else. I apologize for. Okay, so Humble or Crunch that that this could end. But I, I don't know. Like th- this was part of you know where I felt like this chapter was game over because here you see repentance. You see people trying to save a child. You see people being good. And yet they're all going to get killed anyway. And it just, it really was depressing for me. Like, I do not see this. I don't see any pathway to good in any of this. It, it just, this chapter felt to me like no matter what happens now, Aaron won and it's kind of game over. And I, I feel like maybe I'm alone in that. Like, I don't know that a lot of people felt like this chapter was game over, but it very much felt like that to me. So if you guys feel differently about that, I'd love to hear it. I think, I mean, I do feel differently, but I also think your impression is the one Isayama intended to give, um, with the chapter title being about despair. Um, Like, I do think he wants people to think like, okay, this is it. But I don't, I don't think Aaron is going to win if you look at it. Well, depending on how you look at it, because I think the reality that SMK has always tried to like balance is like yeah maybe the world the world I do think will be saved and like some people will many people maybe will survive but a lot of people will still have died and they will still have lost like a lot um and probably Aaron among them like because I don't see Aaron making it out of this alive and so that's a reality too so even if the world at a large is saved like the individuals are have still lost and I think that that's kind of sobering and a balance that SNK has always tried to like walk between like the individual and the collective. Yeah, I think that that chapter, this chapter is like kind of reinforcing that there is like, even if they win, which I do think they, the alliance will win, there's still, it's still very tragic. So, so you think that what we've seen of the world being destroyed maybe gives us more the impression that it's the whole world being destroyed, but that there are still parts of the world untouched. Or I, I think the logistics of the Titans kind of get me to like, wow, they, they, they're fast and they're everywhere. Yeah, I'm like thinking of like, I, I guess I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, it's a story. Like I'm not like worried about the logistics of timings and Titans mm-hmm. and like whether there's really like enough time or that sort of thing. Cause I'm, Isayama has never been great with, the like strict world building anyways so (laughs) i'm kind of like it will do what it needs to do to get the thematic point across i guess like when the i'm super seeing the whole world being rumbled i'm like eh, maybe maybe not like i don't i don't necessarily take that as oh it's game over because i just don't trust isayama's logistics (laughs) um and i think (laughs) that the themes of the story matter a little bit more (laughs) so good point it's been a debate for a long time uh, how the story will end, not just how it will end, but how it should end. You know, should Aaron rumble the entire world and fully succeed? Should the Alliance stop him before he does much destruction at all? I feel like Isayama's going for something in the middle, which you could either call pleasing both sides or failing everyone, <laughs> uh, where most everyone's going to die, but not everyone. So, uh, like we saw here, the rumbling has reached a lot of other nations. Uh, so maybe most people die. But then the ones that survive were able to put aside their hate and you know get peace or like the types of things that the general was speaking about this chapter. Uh, and the remnants of humanity will come together and we'll have that hopeful ending even in the despair of how much destruction was caused. I mean, 
beautiful and cruel. I would like that. I would like to see, think that there's some beauty there. So try not to be, this is like therapy for me, right? This is you guys convincing <laughs> me that. <laughs> see, I, I expected if the Alliance to stop Aaron a bit sooner, like I, I did expect Aaron to do some damage. I just didn't expect it to be on this scale. But like you guys said, there, there, there will be some sort of like positive or hopeful note to end the series on. You know, it won't be that in destruction and Aaron get just gets to wee around in the world without nobody in it. That would yeah. seem weird. Yeah, I don't see that happening either. I just I see that you know I just see a ruined world. So something that uh, King's Grave pointed out in our Discord, I think he's the first one I saw. He um, the the I assume it's his rue the uh, shrine gate there being very, very, very similar to one that remained standing after the atomic bombing in Hiroshima, that Isayama definitely borrowed kind of that Hiroshima imagery. Again, we saw that, I think, in the Ramsey chapter with their outlines, their black outlines as they were destroyed. And we're seeing that again. And uh, yeah, that that sense of complete devastation. And uh, Hamlet, before we started recording, you mentioned that you actually were there in 2018. Yeah. I think also like what's interesting is like Tory gates, the type of gate that um, they are is supposed to be like a symbol of like transference from this world to the next in Shintoism. So I can see the symbolic meaning of including that, but also it survived one of the worst destructive elements in the world. And so it's kind of also like a symbol of hope at this point. That's interesting. So you, when you see, when you saw that there, it actually made you, you saw it as a symbol of hope and not as like just straight architectural element to establish a geography or. No, I think also there's like, I don't want to speak as an expert, but because uh, I'm not, but Hiroshima itself is like the site of the atomic bomb has been turned into a place called like Peace Park. And there are like literally like thousands of like paper cranes that are always hanging there. And it's basically there's a whole a whole like memorial type thing. And it is seen as like a um a reminder that destruction is awful, but people will still will still live through like even despite like the basically the world ending there. Mm-hmm. And so that humans are capable of like great cruelty, but also great beauty because there's so much art there that is absolutely beautiful (laughs) as well. Um, So I didn't, I don't know. I was like, when I thought of like the Hiroshima connection, I was like, oh, okay. Like it is kind of like a Hiroshima moment in that the world is being destroyed, but I don't necessarily think it means that it can never recover or that there's no, that there can't be peace afterwards. Yeah. The thing is, I wonder if the shrine was also trampled by, uh, or the gate, yeah, was trampled by the Colossals or not, because then it's kind of like, you know, showing that, you know, any little shred of hope you have will be crushed. I do think, like, okay, Puppet, you're one of those people that pays, like, crazy close attention to things. When we've seen... um, scenes in the manga of devastation after the titans pass through aren't there little things still left standing or am i am i imagining that no that's correct in fact the first time we see a depiction of well the second time the first time we see a depiction of the rumbling is in 96 reiner thinks about it 
but it's a very small panel. And then when in Willie's speech warning about the possibility of the rumbling, we have a full page on it. Uh, and we see yeah, the footsteps behind them, and there is a single lamppost that's left, okay. and that's like very clearly standing out. That always stood out to me. Hmm. I love puppets recall. That's another reason why it's nice to have puppets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can just be like, what chapter was it when blah, 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 yeah, blah, true. and puppet will go, uh, that was 26, page 14. Like amazing <laughs> photographic recall of this manga. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You can survive just by standing still in the right spot like a lamppost, I guess. Just put a lampshade on your head like you're at a party and you're good to go. <laughs> well, I remember James in Titan Tea Time. I listened to their podcast. James talked about like, could you survive it? Like if it, what did he call it? Something about like a, a super game of Frogger or like some kind of like, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, just I guess. treat it like a solemn contest. You just, you know, keep walking or running around the Colossal's feet. Just going left, right, left, right. Right, jump from foot to foot and make it. Of course, yeah. you know, the world, there'd be nothing on the, no food, no anything. But I, I guess it could happen that somebody could make it through. I don't know. I just, I, I loved James. James, if you're listening to our podcast, that's my still my favorite thing you've ever said. So, <laughs> And if you don't listen to Titan Tea Time, you might like it. You should because, uh, yeah, plug, plug, I mean, plug. It's, it's already up before this podcast yeah. for sure. <laughs> Yeah, they just posted it as we're recording this. <laughs> You've got two weeks to listen to it before we're done. So, <laughs> luckily, it's not that bad. But yeah, one day, one day we'll we'll upload first. Maybe I will be able to bribe them with Dutch cookies. One day. You need to. <laughs> Let's hope that the the Shrine Gate is still standing next chapter, and that you know not all hope is lost, like all the blimps were lost. <laughs> Because, yeah, great. They took all the airships. Nobody could flee. And they were going to defeat that Aaron and his colossals. And then it all went down in flames in five seconds. Puppet, you said that the blimps weren't completely useless. Please elaborate. (laughs) Well, I think pretty much everyone expected the blimps to fail pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, Aaron obviously has some ranged attacks. No one really expected the beast. They just thought he was going to Warhammer spike them or something. So I don't know if they really let down anyone. Uh, the one possible in-world reason I have that they actually helped in some way is they did force Aaron to summon the beast to throw uh, the rubble at them and stop them, Ooh. which then allowed the plane as they were flying in to say, oh, there Zeke is. There's a target. Let's aim and fall right on him. Now it is possible Aaron would have summoned it anyways to throw at the plane as we saw him throw at the plane. But, I mean, maybe he would have kept uh, it more secret, especially if Zeke is attached to the beast still. But, yeah, it gave them a distinct target right away. So you're oh, saying yeah, is yeah. If, if Zeke is in that beast titan, then he may have done the world a favor? Then it was due to the blimps that, that Aaron had to reveal where he was. Yeah, yeah. That, makes, that makes sense to me. Yeah, they weren't caught off guard. They would have been otherwise. It made Aaron reveal his hand, basically. Yeah. Hmm. I like it. Still, from the from the blimp and the general's perspective, that was like a lot of money being destroyed in like a span of ten seconds or something, or that's what it felt like when I was reading the <laughs> chapter. I don't remember who brought this up, but someone was saying in a lot of shonen and, and stories like this, 
It's like the professional military mm-hmm. like gets destroyed right away, but then this group of ragtag kids is able to come in and save. That was Aluola. Yeah. <laughs> Aluola said yeah. that he um and I agree, like this I, I, I feel a little cheated. I mean, I didn't expect the blimps. The they were never gonna amount to anything. I knew this. But um uh you know, I, I feel a little let down because Yelena in chapter Puppet, what chapter? <laughs> 132. In 132, Yelena <laughs> kind of made this out like maybe it was like something to at least worry about a little bit. Like, I think Aaron will head here and we got the flashback of their conversation. And, you know, this is a airboat research center and, you know, could potentially be something to worry about. And it was nothing to worry about. So they didn't even have real bombs. They're like tossing barrels out the back end, which I, 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 this is such a small quibble. I honestly don't care. But, you know, I did – I wasn't expecting it to go that fast. I kind of laughed. Exactly. <laughs> I was just like Staples, like, well, that was easy. Mm-hmm. Like, um, no, I don't I don't really – I really don't care. I expected, I expected that. And, Puppet, your idea about how um, they might not have been completely useless is actually really cool. And I didn't think about that. But, yeah, I was just like, okay, haha. Let's go on. <laughs> I'm checking the 133 poll right now because uh, last chapter, since it was the cliffhanger, we asked if anyone thought they'd be effective. And there was actually a very small percentage that thought they were going to help deal a decisive blow. Ooh. So let's see how many people thought that. 5.6% <laughs> thought that the wow. were going <laughs> to save humanity. They get our that 5.6%. Our heart is with you. We know you must be devastated right now. <laughs> So basically, the rest of us all thought this would be a nothing moment. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, I expected them to at least kill one colossal. I don't think they even did that. They bonked him on the head. Maybe they confused them. (laughs) Well, we see see a few small explosions from when the barrels Mm -hmm. land. I assume they're filled with some sort of explosives or oil or some mix of the two. And we see an explosion kind of on the nape of one colossal and its head kind of angles, but I mean, we don't see for sure it's dead, but they definitely didn't get more than a handful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hashtag we tried. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of Zeke, furry bastard strikes again? Or is it someone else who is controlling him at this point? Yeah, we got an ask from Shanto on Twitter about that. Shanto asks, did Aaron make a fake beast titan with Warhammer powers, or did he control Zeke and puppet him to make the beast? I don't know. Do, are there any, do you guys have any theories on what exactly we saw on that page? The last we saw, Zeke was pretty opposed to Aaron's plan. Um, so my guess is that nothing has happened to change that, but so he's being controlled, but I also don't really know, and I'm not really attached to any particular theory on that. So Kingsgrave mentioned that Zeke was still throwing, and that was a Zeke ability, not a Beast Titan ability. So it would that would lend credence to the idea that it was Zeke being controlled and not just an empty shell. Because I think the second most popular theory is empty shell, that it's just literally a like a fake Beast Titan. I think in chapter 95, when Magoth uh, and some other military guy are going over like the Titan's powers in a Reiner flashback, I mean, it's one thing that's been talked about for whether the beast can take different animal shapes is they say it's the same as always, which I think includes the throwing. What they say afterwards is unique to Zeke is the stuff in his, um, like the miracle in his blood that allows him to control Titans a little bit. 
but I, I think most of the monkey forms at least are known for throwing. <laughs> and didn't Zeke teach Aaron to play baseball as well? I mean, it's such During a big part of it. That was Aaron practicing, yeah. 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 So, could have been Aaron controlling Zeke somehow, or the Beast Titan. There Zeke. is the theory that because Falco, let's see if I get this right, because Falco hinted that it might be Zeke's memory that Zeke may have some sort of control still in some aspect, or at least enough to like call Falco, which I think, again, like that would be kind of a fun twist, but I'm kind of like done with projecting or hoping for <laughs> twists. But if Zeke, I, I really hope that this isn't the end of Zeke, that he's not just a power up or, you know, a puppet at this point. I don't think, I don't think Isayama can never discuss Zeke again. Zeke has to come back, right? Yeah, I think he'll have some sort of like actual analog and role in stopping Aaron, with especially with Grisha telling him to please stop Aaron. And then he was just out of the story after that, besides being used as a puppet. So I, I do think he might have sent Falco's memories or he'll have something to help end Aaron. Also, I see why you guys brought me on this chapter with my puppet expertise <laughs> on Zeke being a puppet. <laughs> that said, I, I don't think he's actually in there. I lean towards it being Warhammer, uh, just like Warhammer form. And the coloring team will have a real decision this month whether to mm. color him like the Beast Titan or color him like Warhammer material. Mm. Yeah, because he did look a different shade in this chapter compared to, you know, the previous times we've seen the Beast. It looked a bit lighter this time around. If that is Zeke, Kingsgrave had some really interesting thoughts on this, um, bringing out that Zeke himself destroyed that entire fleet of airships. Like, you know, it, it kind of makes you believe that had Zeke, uh, you know, Zeke might have been the one responsible for all the expansion that Marley did there that, you know, you see the power of one Titan in this moment to take out an entire air fleet. And he was also talking about like, this is Marley, they should know this. And yet they were so unprepared. They literally have a weapon that throws things and takes down ships, and they lasted zero amount of time against Zeke. So maybe there was sort of some poetic justice there to the Beast Titan <laughs> being the one to take them all down, because he's probably the one that helped them get the power in the first place. I mean, it, it's been discussed that, you know, Marley has been relying on the Titan powers for too long. So, of course, the Titan powers have helped them expand, and... Fort Salta is still in Marley, so I would expect, you know, to see, like, outdated <laughs> military, mm -hmm. you know, vehicles there as well. The thing is I'm wondering about is what, what is the rest of the world doing? What kind of equipment have, do they have that could far exceed the power of the Titans? Because we have only seen, like, the, the, yeah, the United Army, but it's been mostly Marley, I think. Like, the uniforms all look Marleyan. Not not the original. Um, again, Puppet can probably speak to this, but that looked like a global force. Uh, I think Fort Salta is a Marleyan force. Mm. The global fleet. Uh, I think the invasion in Paradis and the return to oh, Shikinshina yeah, 2 yeah. was the United Front. And then the forces that Aaron decimated in 130. Yeah. When we first saw the rumbling arriving at the shore, that was a United Front that Willie Tiber helped mm -hmm. bring together or whatever. Yeah, and this, this one seems Marleyan, at least, at Fort Salta. And are you really that surprised? I mean, these are the people that kept sending ship after ship after ship to Paradise, <laughs> <laughs> like one by one, and they're like, oh, they're not coming back. Oh, let's send another ship. 
Yeah, they would suck at Battleship. <laughs> but did they send like 30 ships, like 30 before they gave up, I think, or some crazy number like that? Not even, yeah. See, this is like where I'm like, Isayama's just like, screw like world building mm-hmm. and like logistics. Like 32 ships. Yeah, I thought it was mm-hmm. over 30. Yeah, I, if this were real life, I feel like Marley would have been decimated long ago with their horrible military strategies. <laughs> Yeah, like you mentioned, Luna, they really had been relying on the Titans too long, and it was just before the festival, like a month before the festival, that they had that meeting mm-hmm. about, you know, we need to improve our forces and all that. That's when General Calvi mentioned, oh, do we have any flying Titans? Because they knew their air forces were such utter crap. <laughs> he got his wish. So, Puppet, you think that that um, Beast Titan is an empty shell, which I think I kind of like that idea too. I like I like the idea of Levi slicing it open and it just like being the Pillsbury Doughboy or something, just like poof, gone. But you think it's finally that uh, show of Warhammer powers. And Hamliet, you think that it's Zeke, but he's being controlled? Yes, I guess. I guess <laughs> I'm not like I don't really. A puppet is totally, totally. Um, a possibility too and I'm not really attached to either particular theory I guess I don't think that Zeke is like in full control willingly doing this yeah I think we all agree on that unless Luna is the outlier (laughs) I um I yeah I I think it's Zeke being controlled but I I'm willing to be wrong on this one to to clarify my position on the on how exactly Aaron formed it with the Warhammer. I don't think the Warhammer can always just do that. Like, I don't think the Lady Tybra could have just summoned, you know, the other eight Titans basically formed versions of them. I think it's a very particular mix between the fact that Aaron has the Warhammer and that he's currently attached to Zeke somehow. So it's kind of the Beast Titan being like forcibly summoned, but in the form of Warhammer. It's kind of confusing and I doubt Isamu will explain it, Mm. but I think it's a mix of factors. Seems plausible to me. So let's um, head back to shore and discuss the um, the speech. Was it a sergeant or a general? I'm not good with military hierarchy. This was the part of the chapter you dislike the most. Yes. Yes. I did. I don't. Yeah. This this for me was the worst part. Yeah. So the the speech by the general. Let's call him the general. Speaking to, I'm presuming Aaron, taking blame for what's going on right now, and you know, saying, you know, if we survive this, I'll promise to do better. Um, we cannot ever let something like this escalate to this point ever again. It's not necessarily a bad speech in and of itself. It's just coming from completely the wrong person, like someone on the opposite side who doesn't have much to gain when yeah and more importantly it's just the wrong time like this is not when you have a speech like that this is like when everything is over and done with and you kind of look at like what what led up to this happening what led up to the rumbling and how can we prevent this from happening in the future this is not something you yell mid-battle and I kind of feel it was only done to kind of humanize Karina a bit, you know, to have Karina react in some way. I, yeah, this, this speech didn't do anything for me at all. Um, 
it I'm sure you know you see I was trying to pull out some emotional strings but it did the exact opposite and yeah but I'm not the well I'm I I do dislike this part of the chapter but luckily we have some people here who don't <laughs> and who might actually have liked this and I'm very curious to hear how so um puppet what what did you think of the speech so I initially didn't like it very much. I had uh, pretty similar thoughts to you on it. I think its role in the story is that uh, it, it's setting up for some sort of peaceful ending where, you know, like I said earlier, whoever remains alive in the world is going to come together and mm. in peace for similar thoughts as this guy was saying. Uh, but yeah, I didn't like it at first at all. I thought it was kind of ham-fisted and didn't make sense and it's in the context of the scene it was in. But the majority of the fandom has enjoyed it. Looking at the poll right now, uh, 60% say it was a great speech for the continued themes of the series. 21% say they liked the message but felt the placement was unrealistic. And only 6.9% uh, uh, thought it was completely stupid. <laughs> and even places like Titan Folk, which has a bit of a reputation on Reddit for being pro Yeagerist and like cringing at peace, some of the top comments on the release thread there are talking about how they got chills reading this speech and they and they love the ideas of it and and how Isama wrote it and then for me personally coming around to liking it uh, that's mainly from a thought I had about Kenny and uh, his backstory with Uri so the two main instances where we've seen the miracle of peace happen are uh, when there's long exposure like Niccolo and them were stuck on the island for four years you know we're very racist and hate the Eldians at first and then came came around and the other time is under threat of imminent death, which is what we see right here uh, with, with this guy. And then calling back to Kenny, you know, Uri, who knew about the whole outside world and talked about the miracle of peace between him and Kenny, which many fans extrapolate to be him talking about the hypothetical of a peace between Paradise and the rest of the world. Kenny was planning to kill Uri, but it's only because he was overwhelmed by a titan power. Uh, was defeated and thought certain death was at hand from, again, being overpowered, that he was able to come to the realization that they could be friends and he was open to that. And so I think using that Miracle of Peace scenario here just on a larger scale is a little more plausible than I had thought before without that context. What about you, Hamlia? Did you have any thoughts? I think um, Puppet kind of summed up summed it up perfectly, and I hadn't connected it to um, Uri and Kenny, um, but that really fits well. Yeah, I also initially was like, at first I thought it was like thematically relevant and good, but also perhaps like pretty ham-fisted. And I'm still, I still think that that's a valid critique, but I, um, yeah, the connection between Kenny and Uri, like really, that that helps a lot. Yeah, I agree. It is a little ham-fisted still in giving the audience the message. So yeah, I definitely understand the, the complaints and I share some of them. And my issue with it was that I felt like it was um, the victims blaming themselves. You know, we did this to us. Now has come the time to repay us for all the hate we've ever shown. We deserve this. Uh, if we survive, let's promise to do better. It's not the message that bothers me. I just, there's been so much of everybody blaming themselves and taking responsibility for what's happened, which should be a good thing. I just, I wonder that Aaron's. Aaron's getting yeah. a little bit of a pass here, and that really bothers That's, me. 
I'm not surprised that Titan Folk liked it because, yeah, the general is basically saying it's not his fault. It's all of our fault. Right. This is our doing. So there's, it's like Aaron did nothing wrong. Huh. I mean, for me, I thought it was psychologically realistic, um, which is something I think SNK has always done really, really well in that. I mean, also, like, these are moments where literally the entire world is completely out of control. And the only thing that they can control is themselves and their own thoughts and their own beliefs in this moment. And so it makes sense to me that they're analyzing from a perspective of, okay, like, what what have I done? Um, and it's not necessarily to say that that's the, like, a healthy or whatever, or even just to bring psychology very much into this. But it's like, um, it seems realistic to me. Hmm. Um, and I think also the framing of like the last panel of the chapter, I think cast makes it clear whose fault it is. So, um, <laughs> so for like if, like if this just occurred like on its own, I, I definitely can see it being like, oh, Aaron gets a pass. But I, I just didn't see it that way at this point. But um, yeah, that's just my opinion. So. I guess in support of you, when uh, Puppet, Crunch, and Humble and I were talking as we were working on the poll questions this month, Humble used the illustration of like, somebody's holding your gun to your head. How do you react? You know, basically you beg, you cry, most people anyway. You know, you don't sit there and, and start to bully that person or blame them or, you know, you, you react with fear. And, you know, I think he felt like the general was kind of that sort of yeah. reaction to it. That. That's what I was hoping for at first, you know, that it was him trying to appeal to Aaron and saying, you know, we get it. We were wrong. We will do better. So please stop. But at the same time, he's also attacking Aaron. So you don't fight back and also, you know, say you were wrong and it's all your fault at the same time. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think uh, oh, what you're saying. Luna? Yeah, no. So I don't. I, I was hoping for that to happen, you know, that he was just like desperate and, and, and basically trying to make it stop. But I don't think that was the case, unfortunately. That being said, um, yeah, I, I have to disagree with Hamlet on this one. I think the psycho psychological point was always something that Isayama did really well. But I feel like the last couple of chapters, um, he's been faltering a little bit on that perspective. And this was just one of them where it just didn't resonate with me at all. I don't think that Aaron and the world being at fault are mutually exclusive. Like them saying we're, we're at fault doesn't mean that they're saying Aaron did nothing wrong. I think it takes two to tango for this case. I mean, it, it does really come down to your thoughts on, on Aaron, which obviously are very debatable since Isayama hasn't been 100% clear. You know, you can interpret it as, oh, Aaron was always going to attack because of he didn't like the outside world or whatever he said in 131. Mm. My interpretation is that without the world antagonizing them, Aaron wouldn't have attacked. But also it was clearly a, a choice on his part. And looking at, we asked this on the poll, we said many characters have been shown taking on the blame. Does Isayama want the world to be at fault instead of Aaron? And the large majority at almost 70% is he wants us to recognize both are at fault. Mm. Uh, but I will say 17% say it's the world's fault only, and 8% say it's Aaron's fault only. So more are blaming the world than Aaron, which I think could be a problem. Okay, wait, what percentage think that this, that Aaron is kind of free of blame in this? 17%. One seven. Wow. That's, see, that's what I don't, that's, mm, okay. He had no choice. 
I know. Aaron did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of and and I I think that's probably why I'm. I think if if that element wasn't in our fandom, I'd probably care a little less about how clear or unclear the messaging is. But you know that bothers me a little. But it's. I complained about this on my blog, and I got a little pushback. A lot of people did not agree with me, but uh, somebody, uh, Old Summer Dream, wrote thoughts about it, and I just wanted to read something that she wrote, which I thought was a really good point. She says that it reminds her of John Milton's Paradise Lost. Milton claimed to write Paradise Lost to justify God's way to men, but instead he ended up portraying the devil a bit too charismatically, sympathetically, fascinating and human. The devil became the star. And that's why people like to say that Milton was actually on the devil's side. And she feels like maybe in this case, Isayama has done the same thing. His intention was to condemn violence and the rumbling and to work towards a solution of love and peace, but he couldn't help but give his own devil a little bit too much charisma, humanity, sympathy. And I, you know, I, I just really like that comment. I think I also like kind of responded to this on Tumblr. There's someone like sending me a message that I didn't realize was connected to your post. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't think that that's a f- necessarily a good, I think it's kind of a little bit of a false equivalence because I guess when you read Paradise Lost, it's been a number of years since I've read it, but I mean, like, I would say like 99% of people who read it come to the perspective that like, okay, you may not be intending to justify Satan, but Satan's the hero of this story i mean if we're looking at even even if it's 17 percent, that's like supporting Aaron. that's 83 percent. that's not um and so i just don't necessarily think that yeah. that's the case I, I like i do think isayama's been quite clear and i think it the final ending will have like the final like clear message about where isayama stands on this so it's hard to say right now and then there's debates about to what extent like you owe your readers proper framing when it's like an ongoing series that's monthly and there's that whole thing. But irrespective of that, I, I really do think that if people think that Aaron has nothing to blame that they're led, it's blatant misreading at this point. I don't think he can make it any clearer between him saying like, oh yeah, I'm not going to take away your freedom, but he literally locked his friends up. Um, he's lied to them. He's lied to us multiple times. And we know now that he knew he was lying when he talked to Mikasa and told her that she was a slave. And, like, we know that he wasn't correct about Armin's feelings about Annie. And we know that he is doing this because he feels like he has no choice. And he that is what he feels like. And he hates it. But he's still doing it. And I don't think that that, like, that's making it clear that it's Aaron's choice. And so I just don't, I just don't see how people think that Aaron is even the hero of the story when Aaron himself has said that he's not right before the actual hero gets resurrected. Like... <laughs> Which is like a very common heroic trope with Armin. And I just, I don't, mm. I mean, we can debate whether how successful Armin has been in being portrayed as a hero. Um, but um, it's, I just, I don't actually think Isayama has been very unclear. But I do think there's an aspect of like grayness to it, which I think is actually quite bold of Isayama. And I admire it because. I think everyone wants to say like, oh, like these genocidal people, they're monsters and they have nothing to do with us. But that's the point is that they do like they're we're all kind of like there is an aspect of a monster, a possibility in most people. And I don't and there's a possibility there's good in monsters. And I don't think that we're supposed to be like Aaron was just like constantly evil and like that sort of thing. And I think it's the fact that we can relate to him is supposed to be disturbing. And it's not a common portrayal of genocidal 
characters in media at all. But I don't necessarily think that that makes it a gray framing. I just think it's disturbing because it's supposed to disturb us. um, And it's supposed to make us question ourselves. Yeah, that's kind of where I stand on it. But I I totally understand how people are seeing it in different ways. So, yeah. I really agree with all of your thoughts. Aaron's kind of like Thanos. Like he's clearly presented (laughs) as the antagonist in the story. But he has a little bit of depth and reasoning you can understand. I think the main thing that makes it confusing to a lot of people is that Aaron was the protagonist. And so like, wait, isn't he still the protagonist? Uh, And so any explanation of of his motives, instead of being viewed as the antagonist, giving you an understanding uh, into their thoughts instead of just being evil for evil's sake, people view it as, oh, okay, here's the reason Aaron still is doing the right thing. And it's just people can't make that switch quite yet. But other than that, I agree. Sam has been really clear that the Alliance are the, are the good guys we're following, hoping they win. You know, they're the hope of humanity. And whether you think Aaron's evil or bad or not, from a narrative perspective, he's definitely the final antagonist and boss. But wouldn't this be easier to argue if there had been any other solution offered that wasn't a farce or any avenue to peace that hasn't been like, you know, the Survey Corps has been portrayed as being so incompetent. The rest of the world is so evil you know, there was never, there's never been a reliable pathway to peace. And I think what bothers me most about this is that it makes the genocide look inevitable. And I just really resent that. Like, I just, I reject, I reject that a society so much like our own that borrows so much from our own that this situation was inevitable. And I just wish Isayama had worked a little harder to make it clear that, you know, here was a pathway to peace that was ignored. And I think that piece of the story is missing. Well, that's like Hanji said, uh, I just can't accept genocide, which is obviously a very fair point of view. Uh, (laughs) I'd like to hope so, yeah. (laughs) uh, To your point of another path to peace being offered, or another solution in some way being offered that is plausible, maybe making the discussion better, I would disagree with that because it would pretty much ruin everything about Aaron's motivation. If there was a clear alternative, then there would be no grayness to it because then he'd clearly be ignoring that to do the genocide and that would just just really ruin it in my eyes. I mean we can see that he wanted other solutions. He was yelling at Hanji, you know, is there another solution? He waited around in Marley a little bit to see if that path to peace was possible. And you know, you could say he gave up too quickly, but I I think Aaron would have preferred an alternative if he thought it was possible in the slightest. See that's where I think I disagree with you. I don't I think he made up his mind and actively did nothing to look for another solution or even prevented it. So I think that's probably where I'm disconnected from you on that thought. It's clear to me that he made up his mind when he kissed Historia's hand what he was going to do. He might have hated it, but he was already done. Yeah, that's certainly possible. We won't know for sure until we get the final Aaron answers. And even after then, I'm sure it'll be debated for a long, long time what exactly was going on in that boy's head. Yeah, I kind of feel like that's a question that Isayama might just not answer. Oh, that would be <laughs> about, Aaron, about Aaron. And I'm I'm actually okay with that. because I don't know. I, I just think it's an interesting question that maybe an answer would perhaps be too simple. I don't know if Aaron himself knows. I guess I'm kind of like, maybe he did make up his mind. And at the same time, maybe he also tried to keep options open. Like we don't, I, I don't know if it's something that can be simply answered. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just hope it's it's more than I want the world to myself. I don't want other people in it. I hope it's just more than that at least. 
I can agree with that 100%. <laughs> that line really confused me and my thoughts on Aaron. Yeah, I kind of liked that idea because it's if we want to go back to Paradise Lost, it's basically the motivation of Satan. <laughs> um, and like, and it's like one of the oldest stories told. It's just the whole idea that I want the world centered around what I want, and I want I want other people, but I want them centered around like what I believe should they should do. And the iron irony of that is that it's completely against the idea of free of personal freedom. I think you're you're one of those people that um, you've had quite a journey with the story as far as Aaron. I think like you actually, you know, you were one of those people that loved him, loved his relationship with his friends, saw him as the hero, saw warning signs, but but kind of believed the best in him. Is that accurate? Kind of. Um, I think. I think reading the story from from the beginning, my like when I started reading it, my sister was like, "Oh, she thought my favorite character was going to be Armin, and it was eventually, but at first it was Aaron, <laughs> and he's still like one of my very favorites. In fact, I think Aaron is currently my favorite. I guess I always thought that he was going to. He always had like these dark sides, but I thought he was going to change, and I thought he was going to like sacrifice his life for the. I never thought he was getting out of the story alive, like and. <laughs> And now I'm like looking back at it. I'm like, mm, nope. <laughs> I think he just dug deeper and refused to. Like I think I said this like last chapter, but it felt like instead of growing, he just dug his feet in and refused to grow at all. And that's a very interesting um, character to me because it's not a common portrayal of characters, and especially not a protagonist. Yeah. Um. Because Aaron is still kind of like the main character, but he's the antagonist now. Um, and so again, I think this is kind of like a very, it's a unique story and it's a unique portrayal of a main character, which makes me appreciate him as a character a whole lot more. But um, he's also, like Puppet was saying, clearly the final antagonist. Um, and I, I wouldn't want him to survive the story. I find it hard because we are missing so many of like Aaron's thoughts to really, you know, make him, yeah. So we know he made this the switch, and he or like he dug his heels in and was like, "This is the path I'm on." And instead of growing, as you put it, um, but we don't really know, you know, what's going through his head. And you know, we've I, that panel of him like looking out of the window with that forlorn look up on his face, thinking of his friends. I'm like. You know, there's part of him that care- we know that there's that he cares about his friends, but then at the other time he's also okay with like harming them or killing them, as it seems in this chapter. So there's this weird dichotomy going on that I don't really understand right now with Aaron. Like I don't really understand what his motivations are, what his feelings towards his friends are. Like, is he doing this? Because he feels like parodies of safety is more, you know, more important than anything else. Is his feeling of freedom more important? What is he willing to sacrifice to reach his goal? I, yeah, there's too many mysteries revolving Aaron at this point for me to really feel like I like he's still a relatable character in any way, shape, or form at this point. And maybe he shouldn't be because you know. You don't want to feel like you're relatable. You know, you can relate to someone who commits, you know, mass genocide, but I don't know. And that's also the other thing. Like, I don't know if it's mainly about 
you know, there being another solution. Maybe there was no solution to end this conflict peacefully. And then this is just an end result of that. So, like, in a way, it's like tabula rasa. Let's start over with a blank slate and let's try to do better next time. I just hate that. I think I'm too optimistic in general to accept that 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 this was the eventuality of this world and there was no way around it. I guess like what where I what I think about that is just so I'm so I'm a pacifist, but I don't think like but Attack on Titan is not it's not quite there, but it's not it's certainly not like yay violence. Violence is great. Um but I think it it is trying to explore like what do you do when there is no such thing as a way forward where no one gets hurt? Like ideally there would be a solution where they could talk things out and where no one got hurt. And there really isn't one. Like there isn't one, but that doesn't necessarily mean that genocide was the only answer. And I do think Isayama could have put a little bit more emphasis on this, but at the same time, I also kind of see what Puppet was saying about how if he did that, then that would make Aaron less understandable. But I think that it is, it is like asking like the impossible questions. Like what do you do in a world that is so by its nature violent and how do you stop that when that's already so rampant and just there isn't a great answer? Yeah. I, I mean, I can see that too. Yeah. Well, on that uplifting note, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the parents from Liberio and especially Karina. Because fuck her. Really. Fuck her. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Group Therapy for Momtaku, uh, joined again <laughs> by Hamlet and Puppet helping me out with that. And as promised, it's time to discuss another reason why I was depressed this chapter, Corinna Braun. Luna, you're <laughs> with me on this. I think the only person I know that like feels about Corinna like I do is you. <sighs> Karina. I love that Andrew keeps calling her Katrina because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's not worth remembering her name. I mean, well, to me, I I was like just thinking of Hurricane Katrina because like she would be okay with that if it meant that like she could be an honorary Merlean. Right. If it blew down all the homes around her but kept her home standing and gave her a better view of the, you know. Yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah, it's kind of also in reference of the, you know, the speech kind of making her see the error of her ways all of a sudden like oh no I treated him so badly <sighs> and do you buy it do you do you think that she's actually reformed I think her feelings are genuine in this moment like she feels bad but it's also like she's finally realizing what a crap person she is so of course that would make her sad I'm not surprised at that but you know do I expect any change from her going forward 
not really. Yeah, and uh, the compassion people are having for her, this chapter, like, okay, from her brother and sister-in-law, I can kind of get it, but like, Papa Leonard was really disappointing to me, this chapter. Where was that badass motherfucker from last chapter? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Ah, Okay. Um, who do I pass the shit on Karina baton to? Cause I'll take it. <laughs> I hate her. <laughs> no, um, she's by far like my least favorite parent in this series, and that's saying a lot. Um, but I think we're supposed to see it as genuine. Whether or not I like, whether or not that changes how I feel about her, it doesn't. But I think emotionally, sure, within the story, um, I really like. As I said, I want Reiner to save her, and then I want him to ditch her. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want him to save her and be like, thank you, now goodbye. Like, thank you, next. <laughs> exactly. I just, I don't know. Yeah, the bulk of the Reiner fan fiction that I read, like, I read it for people that, like, hate on Corinna. Like, I love seeing <laughs> Reiner make, break free from his abusive mother. Like, it just gives – it's so gratifying I mean, in the fan like, fiction world. A thing where, like, I mean, it is, like, I guess – like, Mr. Leonhart has his own issues, but, like, I I wouldn't mind seeing, like, I mean, I'm not necessarily certain that they're all going to survive, but, like, I wouldn't mind seeing him and Annie reconcile, and I didn't mind seeing, like, Grisha and Zeke kind of come to that understanding, but for, for Karina and Reiner, I just don't want it. We might get it, but I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> we go full Jon Snow. I didn't want it. <laughs> but I feel exactly the same way as you do on that. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, LSJ, I forget the exact description, but it was like something like Corinna struck her as like a religious zealot combined with a pageant mom, like a beauty pageant mom. And I thought that was actually like, okay, I see it. Like that's Corinna. (laughs) You know, like her kid is a performance piece and not necessarily, but you know, she's, she's, uh, you know, so, so self-righteous and how she feels about it. Um. Puppet, do you want to save this conversation or do you want to join the kicking? Uh, I'm a little <laughs> bit more positive on it. Uh, Good. This is something that's going to be quite shocking, but I actually used to like Karina. Not for actually reasons of liking her. I think it was just recency bias because I caught up to the story right before the Marley arc started. And so mm-hmm. most of the Paradise characters weren't really relevant. It was mainly like, ooh, what are the, this group of characters going to do? And, uh, you know, she was just introduced then. So she was on my mind more often. I actually found an old character ranking that I think Raikou put out. And I have Karina ranked at 29 back when I took this, or again, during the Marley arc, which is above Hannes, Connie, Colt, Petra, Ooh. Mike, and Marlo, among others, which I definitely would change now to be three for those people. <laughs> but that just goes to show I, I have had mixed thoughts on her, uh, more so story importance than uh, like ever liking her as a person. Mm-hmm. It's just I thought she had an interesting role in the story. Which, back during the festival, I thought she'd have a moment after Aaron's attack, or during the attack. I thought she might die, mirroring how Reiner caused Aaron's mom to die, if Aaron causes Karina to die. But she hasn't really gotten anything since before the festival, and so I'd kind of forgotten about her. And it was nice to see uh, her back again, because like I said, I had thoughts on what she could do for the story, and the Sam never really delivered on those yet. And I think most people should have the chance at Redemption. Well, obviously, she did horrible things and doesn't negate that. If you can't change the past, it's better to at least regret it than just go on thinking you were right. And so while it's still not good, 
it's it's better than she was five minutes ago. Which <laughs> I mean, yeah, I agree. I agree, and that's a good point. <laughs> So I get very few things right in this story. Not, you know, I, I, I take my victories where I can. And this actually was good for me because when Corinna was first revealed, I equated her to the kind of parent who hates their ex more than they love their kid, the kind that like weaponizes their child, in this case, very literally, to kind of get back at at their jilted, at the lover that jilted them. Like she just kind of struck me as that sort of petty person who just really prioritizes himself. So this chapter, when she said, you know, I used him uh, for revenge, played directly back into what what Reiner's dad said in chapter, okay, puppet, was it 96? Uh, uh, 95? 95. 95, when, when Reiner's father said that um, she was using him for revenge. So that felt really good for me that, you know, maybe I read that one correctly, that that was the situation. Whereas other people at the time viewed her as someone who just genuinely drank the Marley Kool-Aid and was a victim. And, you know, to me, there was no victim here. This was a selfish woman doing selfish things. So we, of course, we had to include that on the chapter poll because yay. And I had to include that screenshot because yay. Um, (laughs) And we did ask, what did Karina mean when she said that she used Reiner as a tool of revenge? And we listed both of those options that, you know, he was a tool for Marley and also a tool for Karina to get revenge on her ex. And uh, at this point, 50% think that both is good. And I agree. Yeah. Uh, especially since in that panel, she ripped off her armband, which I thought was an interesting detail. So it's kind of like, I do think both. I think that- um, I missed that uh, she did that. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, she rips off her armband and I think, now you can double check, but it looks yeah, to she me takes like- it off. We don't, yeah. Okay. We didn't see her taking it off, but we see it on the ground in front of her and she's looking at it. So to me, it's like, okay, she did drink the Kool-Aid. Um, she did think that Marley was the latest, greatest thing in the world, but you know, also definitely used him to try to get back at at Mister whatever Reiner's dad's name is. So, so yay! This is happy, but we take our happiness where we can. But I, I, <laughs> Puppet, I, I, you, you touched me with your words. I also believe that. I mean, I'm glad she's better than she was five minutes ago. Really, <laughs> Reiner deserves it. <laughs> And I think also like her, her changing her mind is like an optimistic or like a, a hopeful like indication for the future of the series as well. Like even if someone like as who has been negatively as negatively framed as Karina has can can change even if it's like in a dire situation. Then I don't know. Like I think it's optimistic for the ending. So I would agree with you. I just, I want some sort of like karma for her. Like Reiner finally gets to be like, (laughs) you know, the beacon of hope and, you know, gets everything, you know, is everything that she wanted him to be, but then she's not around to reap any benefits anymore or whatever the situation is at the end. So. Hello, baby. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It was, I know we're going to, this is later in our outline, but seeing Reiner coming in like that and Corinna's. I, I enjoyed the art. I enjoyed, I, 
the the I think my favorite one of my favorite panels in this chapter was the one of um Mr. Leonhart and Corinna standing together, you know, with their backs turned to the to the audience, to the reader, and being like, I'm sure they're okay. I just I thought that was a very sweet moment. I wish it wasn't Corinna in that moment, but <laughs> a very sweet one. So and I appreciated her and everyone's, you know, eyes lighting up as Reiner swooped in. Yay for good art. Lots of good art. Yeah, and she was kind of kind to him, like, you know, of course, you know, Leon- Papa Leonard said they won't die before their parents, and Kaina says, yes, I'm sure they're alive, which is a far cry from what she said at the festival, from like, my son is the hero, <laughs> and your kids are all dead on parodies. <laughs> well, she made that sound like such an honor that her kids are dead on parodies, like, you know, she was very smug about it, but, you know, what an honor that they served their country to death, so... Yeah, I, I, I mean, which is also like a like kind of a jab at them. Like, see, my kid is the the perfect one, the mm-hmm. one who gets things done and doesn't die like an idiot with among those devils. <laughs> oh well. So, which is yeah. So they were both very kind to each other. This chapter, which surprised me, and maybe it's also knowing that they're probably gonna die. Maybe that's also where they're being kind to each other. Maybe if that feeling of death wasn't so imminent that maybe Papa Leonard would have told her to get a grip and be like, yeah, you reap what you sow, bitch. <laughs> you have very high hopes for Mr. Leonhart. I, I had. This chapter <laughs> was like, nope. <laughs> Shitting on all my hopes and dreams. <laughs> a quick note on Isayama's naming schemes. Uh, for a lot of the parents, he just calls them Mr. and Mrs. And that's like all there is to it. Like Mr. Lanehart's a big character. That's still all we have him known as. Mm-hmm. Sasha's mom. We have her name is Lisa. Isayama told us that. But who cares about Lisa? Mr. Bra, uh, Mr. Bras, the actual character, doesn't have a name. <laughs> like, I don't know why he refuses to give us so many names. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, Mr. we have Mr. Finger. Is Mr. Finger here or did, did yeah. he it? Okay. <laughs> I just love saying that. <laughs> oh, peak finger for crying out loud. <laughs> okay, but who isn't here are Zeke's grandparents, no. which, um, what? I wonder what's up with that. We know the grandpa's in the mental hospital, so that might be why he's separate at least. And that was like before Aaron, their other grandson, <laughs> destroyed Liberia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I and can only betrayed imagine the scream he had when he got that version. <laughs> My name's Aaron Yeager. I'm going to destroy the world. Yeah. And they also figured out that Zeke was a traitor after that. So I'm like, ooh, either they were already off then or they left them there in some sort of like prison or whatever. I'm just curious. Do you guys think uh, they'll be back in the story, Zeke's grandparents, or do you think they're probably dead? They're definitely dead. <laughs> I mean, like, again, like, logically, they're probably dead, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I honestly thought Mr. Leonhart was dead for a while and, like, Karina. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if they came back. I feel like it could go either way. I briefly thought they were going to be important, like, between chapters 132 and 133, when we knew the boat people were going off separately and we hadn't seen the survivors on the train yet. You know, everyone assumed that the Liberio people survived and that they'd run into... Uh, our main group or or at least something important to the plot at some point and i did assume that the jaegers would be there 
And I had a crack theory that maybe that's how Zeke's important is because he's related to them by blood. He can talk to them through paths easier or something, and they were going to like relate his plan. But obviously, nothing like that worked out, and they just aren't here. Mm. Do you think that that's a shame that you know that threat was kind of dropped? Probably. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I like when Isayama brings back minor characters, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't. I don't think they need to be here necessarily. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I feel like a reunion is coming in, you know, Zeke and Aaron's grandparents wouldn't have anyone to reunite with. Not in the way they want, at least. Some people have leveled criticism that they all magically survived and made it here. But so now we have evidence. At least two of them are dead. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Grandma, Grandpa Jaeger. So there we go. Not everybody lived. I mean, I guess it's like with that criticism, I'm like, yeah, but also, again, this is one of those things where it's like Isayama, like, it's realistic in a lot of ways, but it's also a story. So, of course, yeah. the characters who are connected to our characters are going to be like the masses who survive. Yeah, like Aaron found them through pads and spared them, you know, <laughs> he trampled all of Marley except for his grandparents. I do think that Zeke loved them. Yeah, well, they they, they basically raised him. Maybe they will matter, or maybe, yeah, who knows? Zeke, if Zeke is still alive, maybe they still have some relevance. We'll see. There's a lot of yeah. what ifs, and well, you mm. said Yama hasn't done that yet. Like, we only have probably four chapters left. Like, where is he going to oh fit gosh. all that in? I, I feel like he's used the double page spreads, the gorgeous, gorgeous art. You know, he wanted this to end at that moment of this volume needed to end at the Avengers coming to save the day, Reiner doing his Helos thing, and then boom, yes. end of volume. And I feel like a lot of the, I, I think it was Nitaku that explained it to me, like, how does it feel like it's dragging, but also rushing? And it's like <laughs> these double page spreads are a mechanism of like dragging. They're interesting. They're beautiful. They add something to the story, but they really do kind of feel like they make the chapter feel very short. It reminds me of like in in the chat in the '90s, like during the Marley arc, um, where some chapters just seemed like they were going over the same information over and over again. Oh yeah, um, and it was, me started. it was always emotional, and it was always like, okay, yeah, but also we know this, like, um, and it just like it was clearly so easy. Yama could get to chapter 100 and have it be like that moment. Yeah, yeah, I think it's happening again. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the downside of writing a monthly manga, I guess. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you need to have a cliffhanger every time. <laughs> so, the Alliance arrives to save the day. And Luna, you have in our document, Reiner Helos, yes, baby, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was my absolute favorite panel. When he transformed <laughs> and you just see that big ball of light in the distance, I'm like, yes. You know? When all hope is lost, pray to Ryan. I have good news for you. <laughs> what? I have good news for you. So in the poll, you know how yes. people, well, you've noticed this because you've been on the poll a long time too. People are very resistant to accepting that Reiner, you know, <laughs> is going to be a good thing. So we asked in the poll, was this the start of Reiner's Helos moment? And the good news for you is that only 27.9% believe that he's not in any way Helos. So we still have about 30% of the fandom that do not think that Reiner is going to fit that role of Helos in any way. But that also means that 70, 
2.1% do think that Reiner's going to fill that role, whether they like it or not. I mean, for me, he already has this chapter, regardless of what he's, if he's going to, you know, stop Aaron or Zeke, you know, he's giving people hope. So, yeah. I love that moment. Did you want to talk about it a little bit? I'm I'm scrolling through the pages right now again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Luna's distracted looking at Ryder Hilo's yes. It was a good moment. It was. On Yonkapan was a good moment and it felt it was it felt good, man. Feels good, man. <laughs> So we can talk about all like the the nice good things that happened in this chapter, or we can switch over to is Aaron really a okay with killing his friends? And I think that that's another poll topic that you know it's been <laughs> kind of funny to watch people make that shift to whether he is or he isn't. Yeah, I feel like um, I would say like he I don't think he's like a okay with it. I don't think he wants to kill them. but I think he may be willing to. and whether he is or isn't willing to. I don't think it matters because I definitely think at least one of his friends is going to die fighting him. Probably more. So, um, like, basically, Hanji's already died because of him. Like, mm-hmm. and he may not know that yet, or he may, who knows? The paths, I don't know how they work. Um, I certainly think he locked them up because he didn't want them to get hurt. I think he knows that they're coming for him. And I think he may be hoping it's over before they get to fight, but I think... We'll find out what happens. I think it's kind of pushing Aaron towards that cliff where it's going to be like, what are you going to do? Mm. Anyways, this is my way of saying goodbye, Connie. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for that. (laughs) I was like, when you said at least one of his friends is going to die, I'm like, it's Connie, right? It's going to be Connie. (laughs) He's the only one without an arc. (laughs) I hope they bury him next to Sasha, at least. Me too. I've always been like either Sasha and Connie are both going to survive or they're both going to die. So like as soon as Sasha went, I was like, goodbye, Connie. (laughs) (laughs) Puppet? (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, I really like the part where the alliance flew in on the plane. Because, I mean, we've been talking about how depressing the chapter was in a lot of respects. I mean, it's called in the depths of despair. So Mm -hmm. after, you know, all this hopelessness that full page spread where the kid looks up and it's like a plane, it, it, you know, bird or plane or uh, Superman. And, yeah. <laughs> Reiner. <laughs> Although in the official translation, the kid automatically comes up with the title flying boat, which is <laughs> yeah. what everyone else called it. Cause they never seen a plane before. It's like when everyone just came together on the name beast Titan separately, hmm. but the scene itself was awesome. It, it really showed how the Alliance is the hope of humanity. And then mm-hmm. Reiner in particular, uh, really taking on that role of Helos, jumping out of the plane and, and being the hope of humanity, particularly yeah. how Isayama zoomed in on Karina, noticing Reiner doing that, mm. which uh, back when Reiner was leaving for the mission on Paradise, he was talking about how he wanted to be here to the world and for his mom, which, I mean, probably not a great goal since his mom sucks, but <laughs> it, it, I think it's calling back to that, which is trying to remind us of his role as the hero, or also known as Helos. I mean, this is just, I love the panels. I love the art. I love, you know, the armor titan coming out of that, you know, cloud of smoke, lunging at the beast titan. I love the final panel where he's just like 
you know, holding the beast out and die on by, you know, his neck. Oh, such a good panel. Imagine it animated. I mean, oh, gosh. Somebody's, I don't remember who it was, that this is a chapter meant for animation. And yeah. I agree. I think everyone is like, oh my God, it's going to be so crazy animated. This might be a controversial opinion, but I actually think this wasn't the start of Reiner's Helos moment. I think this was it. And now it's done. And now he's not going to do a whole lot. Uh, I mean, <laughs> In typical <laughs> Isayama yet. fashion, he's going to take a nap now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I mentioned, uh, you know, he came in as the hope of humanity. His mom saw him be the hero, which was a, a big buildup. And uh, and then also the statue of Helos had him, like, over the devil, like, with a spear through it. And while a lot of people have interpreted that as Reiner being the one to kill Aaron, that's certainly possible. If he's not the one to kill Aaron, which is how I'm leaning right now, I think it'll be uh, most likely Mikasa. Yeah. Uh, then Reiner doesn't really have another specific Hellas moment after this in my mind. And this almost is that pose with him down with his hand on on the beast's throat. I think it covers enough of the, it checks enough of the boxes for this just to be the moment in and of itself. I agree. I mean, I don't, it's not like I don't think er, Reiner will, it's not like I'm saying that I think Reiner will die because I actually lean towards him not dying. Um, and I think um, he might play another more of a role in the battle, but I, I think that this is meant to be like the crowning pinnacle of his arc. And I think that with only four chapters left, the other characters need the focus a little bit more because they haven't reached moments like that. Yeah, I agree. And there's not a whole lot of things left to do in the fight. I mean, it's pretty much find if Zeke's not in the nape, uh, find where Zeke is and then just eliminate him and then just pull Aaron out and deal with him. And maybe a few Colossals will get in the way. You'll have to fight those off. But there's not really any big flashpoint objectives that could be a big moment, in my opinion, other than Zeke and Aaron. I do think this is going to paths next or, you know, soon. This A lot of this is going to get resolved in paths. Probably. But it feels like that's a very convenient place to settle some of this stuff without marching titans stomping more civilians. Yeah. (laughs) And if it does go there, that's Armin's moment to shine. Hmm. I feel like that'll be once they get to Aaron, like maybe next chapter, not to get ahead of myself for next chapter predictions, but I think that'll focus on them ending Zeke, uh, however that goes down. And then when they actually try to get Aaron and pull him out of the nape is when Aaron will bring him into pass and we'll have like a final conversation. We'll get Aaron in full flashbacks and then it'll end after that. That's my prediction as well. I wonder if, well, this thing doesn't even have a nape really, right? It has like a cord coming out of its nape. So, I mean, it's possible Zeke's right there, but I think it's more likely the cord goes back and like connects to Zeke himself. Oh, you mean from the Beast Titan? I thought you meant from Aaron's nape. Oh, yeah, I was talking about the Beast Titan. Aaron's Titan okay. doesn't have a particular nape. They'd have to play where in the world is Aaron Yeager on his Titan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys think that the step one is like uh, severing the connection between Zeke and Aaron to stop yeah. Aaron? Or will it not make a difference at all? I think it is important also if Historia is going to have any relevance. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's important. And probably will be the first step, but I also don't know how much of how much time we'll actually spend trying to figure out a way to do that. Like, I think they might just be like, 
push a button and be like, that was easy again. <laughs> okay, what if they indeed do that? And then um, the Colossals, they keep on going because now there's no one to control them. That's pretty close to what I'm thinking. I agree with that. Yeah, and then maybe they can feed Aaron to Historia. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think or have Aaron hold hands with Historia and feed her, I don't know, another Titan so that she can stop the rumbling. I mean, I think Historia might be able to stop the rumbling without being a Titan. That's my Ooh. hope. I, I think she. <laughs> I think <needs> Ron Linda. <laughs> there's no, some, no, no. I think there's some Titan. Like there's some. Like I don't really know how the paths work, and honestly, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, well, if she so, is I'm, pregnant with a baby Titan. Well, exactly. Like, one of the. <laughs> and like I think, and I also think they have to get rid of the Titan curse somehow through some like paths magic, and I assume that that's going to happen somehow. That's what I always thought would happen, but now I'm not so sure anymore. Historia like, is going to eat her baby. And gain the Titan powers. I had a thought on how they could remove the Titan curse without just it being Aaron saying no more Titan curse. Uh, I mean, they said they assumed that Aaron could remove or give them the ability to transform into Titans. That seems to be assumed in the story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether or not aliens can turn to Titans hasn't really been discussed, but the Titan shifters themselves has. And we know I'm pretty sure the only way to turn an Eldian into a Titan is to inject it with Titan's final fluid. Well, if Aaron, like, as his dying thing, takes away the ability to shift into Titans from them, or or takes away that it'll go to an Eldian baby so when they die it's done, or something like that, if all the Titan shifters die out, then there'd be no way to make new Titans. The only mindless Titan left would be Connie's mom. So if they somehow deal with that, then Titans would be essentially over, even if the potential for them would still technically be there. I, I do think that the OG Emir, OG Emir and Historia, I, I, I hate to have any hope at this point, but I still hope that, that they meet and have a conversation. Same. <laughs> it just seems like it would fit. I've said a lot of things I think would fit that haven't fit, but let me hold on to that one. It's kind of the only way I can see Historia's situation being even slightly redeemed, and I don't even think it would like make it worth it, but I think it would make it better yeah yeah my best theory on historia was that uh which i'm not sure if it's the case now because it seems that falco and them are going to fly to the battle uh but if they were to fly to pyridus then through falco you know having the memories of previous jaw titans and apparently special like uh ability to get memories from titans or or whatever we've seen from that from falco uh historia could somehow get Ymir's memories or speak with Ymir in some way through Falco. And then that would be able to give her the will to maybe perhaps eat Annie. And then combined with the female Titan scream and her having royal <laughs> blood, she could stop the Titans. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nothing's allowed <laughs> to happen to Annie. Like, But that would be good for Annie's character, Eric, since no. her whole thing is getting over being selfish. Her only thing is caring about reuniting with her dad. If she gives up on that and decides to die, that would be... She's already given up on it by joining the fight, though. I guess. Like, yeah, she has to, just she like, to find out people alive. It like she was going to like bow out. But now that she's back in it, I'm like, oh, okay, we're fine. Yeah, now that they seem to not be going to Paradise, I don't know how Historia can have any relevance to anything. Since, like you guys were saying, it's pretty much would just be through, like a conversation in paths, which it'd have to be a pretty good conversation to change the current situation. I mean, Historia's 
will to live, you know, was going to be no matter who they are, no matter where. Anyone who's crying or thinks they're unneeded, I'll tell them that's not the case. And if that's not OG Ymir and Zeke, both of them, I don't know who is. Oh, let's hope. I hope you're right on this one. So the chapter ends with our men making a, a 112 reference, I think. I think most people have agreed with that. Aaron, I'm asking you one more question you're not going to like. What about you is free? And can you answer me once we drag you out of there? Um, big words. What do you guys, any thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's the question is the one we're supposed to be like contemplating in terms of the themes. Can, if this is true freedom, if what Aaron is right now is truly free, which I have seen some people make arguments for, is it really free? And like, is it worth it to be able to be, can you be free with and still have relationships at the same time? Like, are, are, like if if Aaron is truly free, but he's willing to sacrifice even his friends or whatever, like, is that real freedom? Or is it just be him being enslaved to an ideal of freedom? But I think there's not an easy answer. But I do think that Isayama is pretty clearly, like, frowning on Aaron's idea of freedom. Yeah, I agree with that. Freedom in its truest sense, everyone everyone's freedom would contradict. You know, someone's freedom to steal from you contradicts with your freedom to hold to your own possessions and it just goes around like that so i mean aaron's like ideals of freedom contradict a little bit as well as like lead to the cycle of violence that sam has been talking about i'm excited to see it like i i think we asked in the poll what is armin suggesting here is this mean that he's not done talking yet is this him posturing you know basically I'm going to kill you, and then you're going to get your last words. I mean, it's. I'm excited to find out what this is. I, 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 I kind of agree with you, Hamlet. You'd mentioned before that you know, Armin was framed to be the hero back in chapter eighty-four, and we haven't actually seen that yet. And I would like to see it. I would like to think yeah. that <laughs> Armin's survival mattered. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so it cost you a little bit of something, <laughs> right? Erwin didn't die for nothing. <laughs> Not that Armin's only importance is in his Titan, but we haven't <laughs> seen him transform since the battle in Liberio. Yeah. Besides the flashback, so I hope he transforms one more time before the end of the manga. That's a little yeah, bit disappointing. Same. Well, somebody... Okay, so that takes me to a, a question we got from John Xavier from Twitter. And he wrote, we see that conventional bombs don't hurt Aaron. So do you think someone is going to sacrifice inside of Aaron's mouth with explosives, kind of like they did with Rod Reed, maybe peek and blow him up? But the next part was, if Aaron wants to drag him out, he can't do that with his colossal nuke. That would be mortal for Aaron. So I wasn't, I mean, when I read that, because I kind of thought I would really like to see Armin's Titan again. We've only seen it once and once in flashback. I'd like to see Armin do something like that. But I think that that's a fair, him him transforming creates, you know, a lot of damage, secondary damage. And he really can't, not with that huge crowd standing so close. So I don't know, maybe we're never going to get to see Armin's titan form again. Maybe he stays human through this. What if he like goes around and like takes out all the like colossal titans by yeah. standing near them because <laughs> they could absorb the energy. I don't know, but like things are not my plot is not my strength. I'm just basically like whatever. <laughs> like, so. 
Uh, I have some predictions on how the battle might go from here on out. I mean, they'll probably be wrong because it's a scam and predictions are always wrong. <laughs> but one of the main things leading my predictions for the battle is Peak and those bombs, like mm. like was mentioned in the tweet. Uh, I mean, she was able to transform midair and hold the bombs in her mouth, which I initially found very unrealistic. But if you think about Titan transformations, the flesh just kind of forms around them, which you can form around the bombs as well. Only the colossal seems to like be a real like explosion. But I think it'd be kind of ridiculous for her to carry the bombs in her mouth for like a whole chapter. Uh, That would just look kind of funny. Uh, And it'd be unrealistic that they haven't exploded by then, even. So I think Peak's going to explode next chapter and and, and die. (laughs) Uh, We have some buildup for her from chapter 132 saying she's going to avenge her fallen warriors and and things like that. People have been thinking she might die for a while. So I do think that's going to come next chapter. And since I don't think Aaron's dying next chapter, that leads me to believe that she's going to use those to blow up Zeke. And obviously Levi's main uh, plotline of the story right now is Zeke, and so it's possible he'll, he'll definitely help, I would think, but I'm not sure he, he may or may not die from that as well. And uh, But Falco and them, we think, are going to show up in the battle, and it'd be weird. It wouldn't be really important for them to show up if everyone's already winning. Like, yeah, we killed Zeke, that's <laughs> yeah. off the rumbling. Like, so it has to go wrong after that. Like people have theorized the Colossals are start walking on their own or whatever. Mm. And then we have this huge moment of despair and then a Falco shows up. Armin's Colossal could be helpful in holding the Colossals back a little bit before that happens. Like if he finds a safe place to transform, he could stretch out his arms and try and play like Red, Red Robin with him or whatever. But- <laughs> yeah, we in the poll we had originally like, who's going next? Peak with the bombs or Anyang Kapan with the play? <laughs> Going out in a suit, maybe both of them are going to go out in like some sort of a grandiose kamikaze. I effort. still have some hope for Anyang Kapan. I'm just, I know, for the love of God, he's I feel like <laughs> Let's see, uh, Anyang Kapan is at 60.4% of like people who think he's going to die, and Peak is only at only at 15, 50.1. Oh, wow, hmm. so the, the main um people on the you know, with the dead flags, dead flags, yeah, dead flags. According to um, the fandom, are Zeke with seventy-seven point five percent before the series ends. Let's see, uh, and then uh, on Yanko Pon sixty point four, and with only a point two percent difference, Connie at sixty point two, and let's see, and then in Levi with fifty-eight point two, and then Aaron with. 54.1. And least likely to die is Gabby with only 11.6% yeah. of the bones. Gabby gang, Gabby gang, Gabby gang, Gabby gang. What can Gabby even do at this point? Like, I assume she'll fly in with Falco and Annie and they can both do stuff, but well, Gabby's had enough good snipes uh, and she's definitely not going to be the one to kill Aaron, so I don't... <laughs> well, she kind of already did one, so... <laughs> yeah, she's had her moment of revenge on Aaron. <laughs> There's enough other candidates in line to, you know, talk to Aaron. I, I'm kind of with you guys, like Anyang Kapan, I, I, I do think, I mean, if, okay, Editor Kuhn kept Sasha alive for like, what, 40, 60 chapters? Yeah. 69 chapters, I believe. Haha, <laughs> funny number. But There yeah. we go. <laughs> Surely, John Boyega can keep Anyang Kapan alive to the end of the series, right? Uh, yeah. So do you guys, like, um, so it's funny because, like, I always joke about, like, the death Fags with like um a spoon of sugar's blog on Tumblr because she's like called every almost every single death in the series right before it happens. 
Ooh. Um, like right down to like Hanji. She was like the chapter before Hanji died. She was like, oh, Hanji's going to die. Con- like Sasha and everything else. So I'm just kind of like when I'm nervous about a character, I'm like, are they going to die? <laughs> it's like with articles you see online. He predicted Trump winning last time. What is he saying this time? <laughs> so, so who is Spoon calling to be dead next? I have to check. I, I do follow that. I, I, I don't think you're going to like the answer, but she's nervous. Oh, no. she's, she's not certain, but she's nervous about Levi. I've always felt like Levi's going to die. And I'm not yeah, even I have sad about to that. Until this, like, until like recently, but usually once I get hope for a character, it means they're about to die. So yeah. <laughs> I just think Levi, if he dies, I mean, he does, Isayama gives characters a good send off. They've all had good send off. Levi needs a good send off. And um, like that, I feel like we would need at least, if Levi's going to die, we need at least half a chapter. The chapter needs to be focused on him. It needs to, you know, <laughs> needs to make us cry. And I don't, like, there's, okay, am I wrong in that, that Levi would need, Hanji got half a chapter. Would yeah. Levi get half a chapter? Yeah, I think it, it definitely would get that big a focus, especially if he wants to kind of drag it out, like maybe have next chapter end with despair of uh, still going on, mm-hmm. and then next chapter end with the cliffhanger of Falco that's a good way to drag it out have a big like emotional focus on something like that mm. and like I, I theorized levi could potentially die with peak in an explosion that kills zeke and their uh motivations and thoughts could kind of they, they, they're a little bit congruent because peak's talking about avenging our fallen warriors and levi could think back to erwin's speech about you know the we give all of our fallen soldiers meaning by you know continuing to fight ourselves and through our deaths and so those two thoughts kind of fit a little bit, so them dying together would fit. Uh, and obviously that's very emotional for Levi to, to die thinking about that, and also that he's finally fulfilled his promise and, and that he's brought meaning to all these deaths by helping to, to end this fight. That's and good. Uh, yeah. Also for Peak, particularly helping kill Zeke, they've had the most connection between any warriors. You know, that's exactly right. You know, that's between those two. So I think Peak has some particular particular beef. With Zeke. Oh, also, yeah. I've said Peek and Zeke so much. I just feel like so much better. The slant rhyme. Plus, like, Peek is kind of, I don't know, she's been kind of more of a mentor figure than any of the other characters to Gabby and Falco and Leah as a mentor and just mentors in general in literature, but especially in SNK do not fare well. <laughs> they just don't. Falco shows up. What happened to Miss Peek? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's not talk about that, Falco. <laughs> She went to the farm, Falco. <laughs> That's what they need to do. Poor Falco. Oh, I hate this series so much. <laughs> Is it bad that I kind of want Levi to live? Like, yes. You know? yes. Even if, yeah, okay, well, listen, hear me out for the reason first. Before you say no. Because he gets to go to Irwin Heaven. So... With Hanji in Urban Heaven. No, he is going to live, and I hope he he is not the one to kill Zeke, and it will just be, he will feel so empty, and he has nothing left, and it will be so... No. No, he has to die, like, because I don't see him living as a good thing, because, you know, he has really nothing left in this world. Well, I do think the best thing for him, uh, for the story to go at this point, is for him to make a sacrifice, and Mm. I do think that's what's going to happen. There are a few small problems with it, uh, one being, he hasn't really done anything in the story since he survived the explosion with Zeke. I mean, he was out of the story, then he came back and sat on the sidelines making like grunts like once a chapter, <laughs> and then he said goodbye to Hanji, and now he's gonna die in an explosion with Zeke, perhaps again. Like, 
it, it's probably going to be a really good moment and you know we'll be glad we got it but i mean all that just to he survived the explosion with Zeke just to die in another one and then also mm-hmm. i don't think we'll see erwin heaven again that would be a little bit repetitive mm-hmm. but it's also kind of funky if we see hanji got it be like hey why didn't levi get there so. <laughs> yeah yeah that's true that's true huh also, we'll never see his cool battle scars if he just dies without ever taking his bandages off. Or he'll take his bandages off and we see oh, a scar for one chapter before he dies. And as a Tumblr person who actively reads other Tumblr blogs, people wanting that Acker talk, if Levi dies without at least just telling Mikasa she's not a slave, like people will riot on Tumblr. Like, I think we got enough of an Acker talk back in the Uprising arc. Like They had a whole I conversation in the carriage. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm telling you what I read. What I read is Acker Talk when. Like, that's still something that people Never. read. I'm I mean, sorry, they kids. They talked about their Ackerman powers when they awakened, and, like, they talked about it. I don't know. Right. But Mikasa has since learned that she's a slave, or she believes that Ackerman's, like, she's she's very confused about her biology, and Levi's the, uh, would be a great person to set her straight about but He doesn't know anything about it. He could just talk about his own experiences, but he doesn't know anything about the biology. They have a shared history. They have that same liege knight relationship. They're from the same family. It would have been. I. It's something. It was. It was on my wish list. Okay, that's all. Levi. I think it and, would have been really nice. Like I think it would have been a nice way to do it. At this point, I think that Mikasa realizing that she can make her own choices is yeah. going to happen uh, in another way. Just yeah. because I'm not sure that that will matter, but I do think. I, don't, I just don't think we have time. I mean, not that it won't matter. Just like, I don't think we have time. But I do think, um, should Levi die, which I do think is more likely than not, even if I think that narratively either way could work. Um, I think that um, it would be impartially to motivate Mikasa to kill Aaron. So, like Hanji's death motivated Armin. Yeah, I just, I would like them to have a conversation. Me too. I think it would be nice. Yeah, I think it'd be nice if we at least get a little bit more clear answers on what the Ackermans are other than just Titan experiments. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I wish that if we had gotten some more info, we would have gotten that a little bit earlier. I feel like if we're getting it now, it's going to be weird. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Unless it's like some sort of epilogue thing, like God knows how long the epilogue is going to be, so... <laughs> Yeah, I've I've leaned more away from what they say on this new comments and one to two percent. Apparently, that translates to like two and a half chapters, and yeah. so I, I'm not leaning one thirty eight anymore, which would be four. But I'm yeah. leaning one thirty seven just as a double length final chapter because I think that's pretty common for final chapters. Yeah, uh, the magazine's published in publishes the last chapter every month. So like this month, magazine has one thirty three again and one thirty four. So they have the page space that SNK owns. So yeah, the number would line up, but then we get the same amount of content page-wise in the volume. I think Isayama's about as good at math as I am. <laughs> Isayama has been saying that like he's certain percent a certain percent done for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I we think- know that earlier it was like what three to four percent or something. Yeah, and I think he's already gone beyond that. So yeah, <laughs> um, I, I yeah, I think I I mean I do think as well that like three chapters is about my bet, but. We'll see. Four is possible. I hope for four because I think it's a little rushed. Well, the good thing is this um, this podcast is still going on. We thought this was would be like our penultimate month, but we still <laughs> yeah. we're gonna keep going for a little while longer. 
you're going to be stuck with me, Montaku, for a little while longer. <laughs> I'll take it, Luna. Well, I was excited at the thought that we would be done with it this year, but you know, <laughs> I'm in good company. So the company's good and we got something to talk about. So we'll keep oh, going. Um, Hamlet, you followed a lot of anime or manga series to completion. Do you have any idea when he'll announce when the final chapter is? What's What's been the case for you and your other fandoms? I don't want to talk about how most of them have ended. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, I have not really, um, I think the main, the main one that I can think of is like Tokyo Ghoul, but even then Ishida, the mangaka had said that he, he ended it certainly before he initially planned due to health reasons. And so I don't necessarily think that that's a good place from which to guess where it went, from which I can guess when it's about to end. My best bet is like three to four chapters. And he may not even announce it until the last one? I actually think he will announce it either in December when it was supposed to finish. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but also COVID, keep in mind like COVID meant that we had a month off this year. So I think he would announce it either in December or in January, probably the one before or either with one or two left. Because I know when Tokyo Ghoul ended, it had it, they told us there were four more chapters coming. Other mangas tend to do the same thing where it's like, oh, okay, we have a few more chapters. And that that was a weekly though. Exactly, I'm not sure which is why different. Like, it might just be one more. <laughs> like, like the ending editor note, you know, like this one said, like the fight begins or whatever. Might just be next month, the final chapter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I wouldn't be surprised if we get that. Yeah, I think Isayama doesn't even know at this point for yeah. sure. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at too. If he knew he was going to finish in four chapters, I think the event in Hito would have been the time to announce that. But he still sounds a little uncertain. And I think it's because of character deaths that he's uncertain. You know, he might think he can fulfill, give Levi a big emotional send off in half a chapter and it doesn't. So maybe in his planning process, he has like 40 double page spreads that he can start picking away at mm-hmm. if he needs to actually tell more story or something. <laughs> so we have one more question from Twitter from Sophia Amundsen. Do you think Connie or Jean will get an impactful scene at least? And who would kill Zeke? The first one to attack him wasn't Levi, but Reiner. And we know he's Isayama's favorite, so maybe he changes the course of events. So first question first. Will Connie or Jean get some time in the limelight? If Connie dies, I'm sure he'll die well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I do think, I think Jean should have some time in the limelight, but I'm not sure how much we have for that. Because I think, I do think the bulk of the time needs to be Armin and Mikasa. Yeah, I think it's mainly going to be them just like helping out. I mean, just a few minutes ago, I had a breakdown of how I thought the battle was going to go. And it's easier to predict when people have like a specific power set, like, oh, Peek has the bombs, Levi has, you know, Ackerman powers, and he has the clear arc with Zeke. It, all those pieces, you can kind of guess how they're going to go, at least a little bit. Connie and John didn't really have anything particular to do other than just help. So it's like either they'll just help take out a few Colossals somehow, they'll just help find or get to Zeke, or they'll just help get to Aaron. I don't see any, any big role. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they have something bigger to do. Uh, and I agree, John would be more of a priority for me than Connie. But I can't think of anything myself that is a clear role for them to play. Yeah, John needs to live to the epilogue and hold that baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys all know. I mean, I think, well, at least Mom Taku knows what I think is going to 
be the case with John. So. John Costa. Yeah. I don't, and I'm not even saying that as someone who ships it because I don't like, it's just, it's just where I think the story, like it's just, it was introduced to the story, so it shouldn't matter. So I agree. And I'll also say it as someone who does ship it. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't ship it either, but I, I also feel – I felt – I know when you were um, talking on the topic, Hamlet, I would always read and nod and uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, like, opposed to it. Me. I'm just like, yeah. whatever. Like, I mean, I assume it's where I've always thought the series would end, so. Well, it, 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 I always said that, like, it had to end with Mikasa having a child just because that's what was hinted at early on. So if the series doesn't, so it's weird to me that Historia is the one that's apparently pregnant, but <laughs> okay. you mentioned Mikasa early on. Uh, you know, you had you had thoughts on her needing to have a child, maybe based on like her scene with her mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I was just reading a thread on Reddit earlier today, it, a thread from like three years ago about uh, who are the worst parents in SNK, and mm-hmm. one of the top comments was a joke from Komorsky, one of the. Reddit users yeah. saying Mikasa's dad, the bastard, never told her how, where babies come from. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, do you guys want to discuss who's going to kill Zeke, Levi or Reiner? Like it was part of the question. I'm kind of with. I think Puppet's plan makes sense with Peak and Levi, but I don't really know. So you think Peek and Levi would most likely kill Zeke? I guess. I'm actually not so sure that Zeke is going to be killed. Yeah, I'm not either. I actually, I'm, and I know, like, I'm, I'm kind of like, meh, probably, but who knows. Um, <laughs> but I know, like, Link Spooky, who was on this podcast last time, is, like, firmly believes Zeke is going to survive to the end just out of, like, Isayama's fighting us. <laughs> but I actually think that there's a significant chance that that is exactly what's going to happen. So... I, I have hopes for Zeke. Like, this is another character that um, I've kind of done a little bit of a 180 on, but only, it just depends. I keep hoping for a twist. How about a twist with Zeke? I would hope he does something to, like, try to help stop Aaron. That's like... I would love a redemption. Yeah, I also don't know that I think that there's much for Levi in killing him at this point. I'm kind of like, I don't know. I know that that's controversial, but I've never really been a fan of that theory for at least like the past like 20 chapters so i'm kind of wondering like i just don't know that that accomplishes a whole lot but it's his gay promise i just want levi to feel fulfilled and like mattered whatever whatever levi needs to do to feel like he did something that mattered i think that's fair (laughs) and i i do i do think that you know must kill monkey is certainly there but um he he's he's on the humanity train as well yeah exactly I think the promise is yeah. another example of something being dragged on too long. We were talking about earlier, you know, like Annie and historic people just get tired of it. Mm. I mean, I'm personally still invested. And I know uh, a lot of people are, but also it's just become a bit of a meme at this point. <laughs> There's some things to say, it's like, it's a good idea originally, but he drags it on for so long. Everyone's just kind of tired of it. And it's like, okay, can, can you do that now? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, if he was going somewhere by, you know, making it last as long before he could fulfill the promise in in the sense that he would, like, let go of his need to fulfill it or, like, he couldn't because someone else or something else killed Zeke, that's fine, but... I think his need to fulfillment is kind of divorced from the situation right now if they do think it'll stop the rumbling. 
because mm-hmm. then it's just he's doing it. I mean, he's probably fueled by his promise and want hit for Zeke as well. But I mean, if he thinks it's going to stop the rumbling and that's his goal, he's not going to be yeah. like, well, I want to stop the rumbling, but also I'm giving up on my promises. <laughs> <if you laughs> won't do it. Yeah. And just let the world die for <laughs> humanity or something. So only if they came to the quick conclusion it would be useless, then I could see him struggling with it. But until then, I don't think that's going to be a big point of contention. Yeah. I'm just saying that that would make it like make sense why it lasted so long like before Levi would be able to do something like really act on that promise I think it's just plot necessity of it saying I'm mm-hmm. eating Zeke around this long he couldn't have Levi kill him yet <laughs> I do like a point that Nitako made um on one of his last podcasts that uh, Isayama does has this tendency, not with the female characters, but with the guy characters, to just sort of drag them around with nothing to do. And it's it would probably be better if he left them elsewhere, either completely out of the story or, you know, just having Levi drug around, Connie drug around with, with very little, just background props is a little frustrating. Hmm. Well, you can send a letter of complaint to the customer service. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and um, as far as Reiner is concerned, I I think he will find out that this Beast Titan is not Zeke, or at least not it's not going to stop the rumbling. So, and I don't think Reiner is necessarily going to be the one to kill Zeke. I feel like other people deserve that more. <laughs> yeah. So we did get a few more questions and comments from Twitter. This is a comment from our friend Paris. He said, chapter 134 was outstanding. For me, it brought back the horror and dread that AOT first inspired me back in 2013. The scene of the baby being passed back by the crowd as humanity is being driven off the cliff is burned into my mind. Armin's last words were fire, fire. And, you know, like when I read things like that from Paris, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can see it. Like, I know I was disappointed, but it, it, objectively looking at it when I step away from my disappointment and how I thought things would go, I appreciate it. And then we have Ruby Gus, who is a regular on uh, in our Twitter channel and also somebody that I talked to on Tumblr. What a chapter. I don't know what to ask that hasn't already been done so, but looking forward to all your thoughts on 134 and breaking down the highlights. So thank you to Paris and Ruby Gus for your comments. And then Paris did have a question, which we kind of sort of touched on. Do you think that the curse of the Titans will get passed on to Historia's child, or does it all end here on the battlefield? And I think all of us agree that it ends here on the battlefield. Is that correct? Yes, but I also think it is possible that it, I think I mentioned <laughs> this early on, that it, I do think it's possible that both is the answer. Yeah. I hadn't considered that, but when people say it, I like, mm. yeah. And I don't hope that that happens. In fact, I hope that it doesn't because it just seems unnecessary to me, but I don't know. So <laughs> It seems strange that we were told about that thing about the shuffleboard shifter that, you know, a baby will inherit it if it's not correctly passed on and, you know, we've never seen it happen. So, and just you know, as a bunch of titans are fighting, a baby is being uh, born. Like a baby yeah. who's, it, yeah. <laughs> it's pos- It's possible. I don't think that I would count on it, but I don't think that I would write it off either. But I do think it will still end on the battlefield regardless. So, Yeah, that's where I'm at as well. I'm like 50-50 on whether it'll end or not and whether I want the Titan Curse to end or not uh, from a narrative standpoint. 
I, I do think if it does end, it won't be as simple as someone snapping their fingers and no more Titans. Because if that's revealed as a possibility, that you know, that's like what Mom was talking about earlier about other solutions. So if Aaron could just always done that, that kind of, I mean, that doesn't necessarily solve the problem with the world, but it feels like something he should have always had in his plan. I wonder if mm-hmm. Emir Fritz is the one who can actually end it. I wonder. It would make sense to me. Well, she wasn't the one who, like, she was bestowed these powers, right? By some other weird creature. Right, but she's been the one making them, apparently. So she just stopped making them. See, I solved the series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was thinking earlier today about time loop theory. The spine is, in fact, Aaron. <laughs> I, I love how every chapter we come up with, like, worse time loop theories. <laughs> So next chapter predictions. I think Puppet covered it. (laughs) Yeah, I gave mine at least. I don't know if you guys have any different views on possibilities. I've given up predicting specifics. I think we'll get Historia's POV. I agree with with you on that. I think it's time, but who knows? I am defeated. I appreciate it. Like, you guys didn't make me feel better, and I really enjoyed this. But yeah, I'm, I'm like defeated when it comes to the series and how it's going to go. All right. So I think that finishes up our chapter discussion, unless you guys have anything else. Nope. Okay. Well, I also wanted to mention this is our last podcast before the season four anime premiere. So lots to talk about coming up about that. Yeah. I'm super excited for it myself. And I saw the wiki tweet, uh, poll question that we then stole for our poll uh, <laughs> about whether you're more excited for chapter 135 or the final season. I don't remember what the wiki's uh, result was, but ours at the moment is 57% for chapter 135 and 42% for the final season. Wow. I'm kind of surprised. I think it just goes to show the how excited people are over this chapter and the cliffhanger and yeah. what's to come. Yeah. If this were like chapter 126 or something like that, people would be like, oh, <laughs> season four. Like, yeah. Okay, you so what about right. you guys? What about you guys? What are you lo- more looking forward to? I mean, I started um, Attack on Titan through watching the anime and then read the manga. But in general, I infinitely prefer reading to watching things. So so yeah. I'm clearly more excited about the upcoming manga chapters also, um, but I am very much looking forward to watching season four. Yeah, definitely that chapter for me. Puppet? This is tough for me because uh, I expect some big things from next chapter, but I think I'm going to have to go with the anime because of how much I obsess over it. I've talked before about <laughs> how I do the episode predictions, you know, like laying out how the manga I think will adapt into the anime. And I spent way more hours on that than any sane person should. So I'm really interested to see how that pans out. Uh, I'm Right now I'm pretty much torn between whether it'll be two core or three core. It, it could really fit either. It's definitely going to be a little bit of an extended season, like probably about 28 to 30 or th- 31-ish episodes. But I mean, that could be two long cores or three short cores. So I'm not really sure. We might be able to tell when we see the first OP if it mainly focuses on Marley and that's it, and it's probably going to be three core, because if we were to have that OP over like the first half of the stuff with the 104th Imperatus and the Yeager stuff. But 
if it focuses on a lot on like Aaron and Zeke and and shows the 104th even, then it's a little more possible that we could get just like 15 episodes that go up to the Levi Zeke explosion and then take a halfway break. Luna, I'm going to guess. Can I guess and say that you're more excited about season four? Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know why. I suck at serious predictions, but boy, I got <laughs> Luna down. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm really excited for season four because finally, finally, we're getting some merchandise for the Warriors. Like, we've been waiting for, what, three years for this? Yeah. Oh, I just want Gabby merch, honestly. Yeah, there is some Gabby merch coming, right? The the Animate Cafe has some like cute chibis. Yes. Including Gabby and Falco and Reiner. And Mappa is uh, has a nice Reiner acrylic figure. So I'm hoping there will be more good stuff coming. And I'm really excited for the Marley arc because it's really my favorite arc in the entire series. So even though it has awesome. its faults, I, I love it. I uh, I can't wait, and I'm very curious to see what the art style will be in like in full motion. Cause we've only seen that uh, really short trailer or teaser, actually. So yeah. I've been watching Jujutsu Kaisen this season, a new Shonen show that's done by Mappa. Oh yeah, I've and the animation it. is yeah, it's really really solid. So I'm pretty hopeful for season four. Yeah, and Mappa has uh, done other really good like action like oriented shows like Banana Fish. Yeah, as well. I love Mappa Studio. Yeah, I think I've loved everything I've seen by them. As far as merchandise goes, I'm a big uh, pop figure collector. The Me pop too. Funkos. Yeah, I have like a hundred <laughs> of whole, them. Yeah, I have like eighty or so. Oh I Jesus! <laughs> I have the whole Attack on Titan wave, and there are a lot of big characters that don't have figures yet. Yeah, you know, John, Connie, none of the warriors besides Annie. You know, Reiner, Reiner better get one make it some post time skip designs. There's a bunch to cover, so I don't think we'll get to like Falco and Gabby and Peak. But no. Hopefully we at least get some basic ones like Reiner and John because yeah. I really like them. I really hope I really want a Gabby Funko before the end of it. <laughs> like <laughs> please. Let's hope she becomes an anime favorite. <laughs> she uh. wasn't the <laughs> I doubt it, but we'll see. They do like Maybe. some really interesting choices with who they decide to make figures of. So <laughs> That yeah. I I'm shocked by this conversation. I had no idea Annie had a figure and Reiner didn't. That's shocking. Yeah, they actually Annie's figure was announced before Armin's. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They tend to do whoever's most important in an arc. For the season three wave, they had Kenny and Emir and Krista and Irwin. Who I mean, Emir wasn't in season three that much, but uh, Krista and Kenny specifically are pretty. I don't want to say minor characters, obviously, but they don't have a ton to do after that arc. Hmm. And so you have to get uh, Emir and Kenny and Krista before we get John and Reiner is pretty surprising. I hope we end up getting all of them because I want all of them. <laughs> well, that makes me hopeful for at least Reiner then. I'm holding out for Flock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Flock is the kind of character that just might get one. That would be... I feel I, like yeah. he's the one I can't, I can't buy him. I just can't. <laughs> I would buy him and then I would like <laughs> toss him in like some sort of bowl outside and set him on fire and watch him melt and like do a time lapse and upload that to YouTube. <laughs> so Hamley, you don't know this, but but um, uh, Puppet is our Flock stan. And <laughs> yes, so... I build We're... a shrine around the Flock figure. Yes. <laughs> Hanji's is by far the coolest one, though. I have Hanji, Kenny, Erwin, and hang on, I gotta look. 
You have yeah. the like season three Irwin, right? Without the arm. Yeah, that's the yeah. Irwin they have without the arm. I've got and Kenny is very cool, but yeah, I'm with you. Hanji's I love Hanji's. Irwin's is cool too, but he's kind of predictable. So <laughs> So I I'm kind of torn on this question as well. Like the best thing for me about the season is when we get the OP and just that <laughs> first episode. So I am mm-hmm. probably more looking forward to the season four premiere than I am chapter 135. But I expect it'll just be like a little one episode enthusiasm bump. <laughs> and then I'll be more excited about the upcoming chapter. So I cannot wait. For me, every episode's exciting because I have. I've thought about how they might adapt each episode so much. Every little detail they do is like, oh, that's an interesting choice. And uh, it's like a reveal to me almost. But the first episode, like you said, is exciting because of the OP. Then we have a few fine episodes and then we have the festival and that's going to be some good stuff. Mm. So do you have any predictions you want to make for the first episode? Uh, the first episode is one of the most solid ones in my predictions. So it's probably just going to be 91 and 92, which is you know the intro to Falco and and all them after the time skip, and then we get the the fight with Peak and the Jaw Titan and Reiner and Beast showing up in the Titan ring. I wonder if we'll get like the sneak peek of um, you know Aaron being there at Fort Slava. That'll be so easy to tell in the anime because he talks, but a word bubble obscures him in the manga. There's no word bubbles here, and you can hear no, his but, voice. Yeah, I think they'll they'll just like show him from the back, like they won't show him talking. I'm guessing. Oh, like have the scene where he's watching them, but then yeah, cut out the like scene that. where Falco yeah. helps them. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe Kajiyuki will put on a different voice. <laughs> we'll see. Puppet, do you share your episode predictions anywhere? I know you are very, very detailed about this, and I always enjoy hearing them. You know, and, and when I have a question about what I, what's going to happen in, in a se- any given anime season, you're my go-to guy. Are they going to be on Reddit or is it more just a Discord thing? So yeah, I've shared them on Reddit a few times in the past, but like the manga predictions, it changes so much. I have like nine different versions. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, hmm, they might go mainly for cliffhangers. Like they might want to end on 114 with the explosion, 116 with the... With the Aaron, ex- what's that scene where Reiner and them show up in the blimps and start the assault on Paradis? But then there's other versions where I'm like, hmm, the episodes, like for time constraints, make sense better being 114, 115. So I have all this, like these different approaches. And so since I change it so much, there's not a version I'm most confident in to post. So yeah, it's mainly just for my own thoughts right now. Okay. Well, I will be. I will be asking my questions to you regardless. So, <laughs> and if you do end up with like a Word document posted somewhere, Google Drive, whatever, you know, be sure to let us know. Will do. I might post them just before the season premiere. The only other big news was the statue unveiling. True. At Hito. And I think information about that is still coming in. I really do hope somebody puts together a master post of like all the questions that were asked, all the artwork that he made during that Q&A with his friends. So I have, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but not like one whole, you know, this is what happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad that the live stream was uh, private because I was asleep while they did the live streams. I was hoping I could watch it again in the morning, but oh. <sighs> no, no such luck, unfortunately. Did you guys watch the whole thing or? I watched the whole thing. 
I had it on one screen and Joe Biden's acceptance speech on the other screen. <laughs> I did too. I had the um, I had my air my AirPods in and I had I had the uh, live stream on my phone and I had Joe Biden on the TV and I was like, <laughs> Biden yeah. was like a half hour late, which worked which out because I was able to see most of the most of the meat of the thing. Yeah, I thought about you because I know it was like the choice of Biden or the statue unveiling, and I was like, I was so grateful <laughs> that they ran late. Because like, I got to see, like, at least the statue, you know, I got to see yeah. most of it before, uh, yeah, before that took over. Well, you guys should have gone with the whole statue unveiling because I told you, like, I can see Joe Biden's acceptance speak everywhere. Cannot see <laughs> the live stream again. <laughs> But I do, I do hope we get like a comprehensive post of everything, like all the questions, all the art, because I'm seeing bits and pieces of it, and I'm sure I'm missing something good. Yeah. Uh, the ones I have seen are like older, twenty year old Marco was drawn, and you know, lots mm. of different characters, and Levi without his bandages, and questions about Levi and Irwin's ages came up apparently. So Wait, there was one of Levi without his bandages. Does it have a scar? Yes. And his eye, I he, has, my life. What? he has a whole eye, so it's possible he did not lose his vision. I'm going to need to see that ASAP. Yeah. When this is <laughs> okay. So yeah, it'd be nice to get all that. And uh, we haven't talked with Coffee Life about it yet, but I think, Luna, our intention is to try to get her soon to, because uh, she was actually there in the audience, mm-hmm. and it would be True. nice to hear her. So I guess that's a stay tuned sort of thing. We She only just got back in town and- probably is still going through photos, but hopefully we can do what we've done in the past and just, um, you know, go through the photos and let her talk about that experience. Yeah. So I don't know if we'll do like a recording of it or we'll do a live stream, but we'll let you guys know through our usual channels. Yeah. Because I'm sure we haven't even talked to Coffee about doing something, but I'm sure she's game. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm looking forward to her story. I, I did ask her, like, because um, in the pictures, Isayama looked a bit frail again. And he mm-hmm. was back to that god-awful haircut he had a couple of years ago before he got married. So I was like, oh, he's not he's not looking so well. And she was like, yeah, I thought he looked thin, too, in real life. But she thought maybe it was the suit he was wearing. So she wasn't sure. I don't know. I've, I've gained 15 pounds during COVID. He looks like he lost 15 pounds. I thought he looked really frail as well. Like, shockingly. But... It could have been the suit. The black black is slimming. He needs to relax and onsen. That's what he needs. He needs Apparently. the onsen. <laughs> he looks str- yeah, he looks stressed mm-hmm. and tired. She did say he was really cute with his fans, though. So I, 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 do, I cannot wait to do a conversation with her. And he waved back at her when she waved to him. <laughs> That's Aww. what she said. <laughs> yeah. All right. So to dun, dun, hopefully dun. puppets... Great enjoyment. Uh, Polka has come through with the quick fire. Awesome. All right, quick fire round. You know how this goes, Hamlet? Um, I've I've listened to it, so <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Okay, so first, <laughs> let's uh, decide the order: puppet, then Hamlet, then Montaku, then me. Okay. Baby or haha pie? Which is the better meme so far? Haha pie. Ha ha pie. Ha ha pie. Ha ha pie. Aaron or Reiner? Aaron. Aaron. Reiner. Reiner. Annie or Falco? Falco. Annie. Falco. Falco. 
Um, peak or onyankopon? Peak. Onyankopon. Ooh, I um, like. I think peak is gorgeous. Onyankopon is gorgeous too. Um, onyankopon. <laughs> peak. I, and he cannot spell onyankopon, so maybe he has been drinking. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Levi or Zeke? Zeke. Levi. Levi. Zeke. Oh, oh. Reiner's mom or Historia's mom? Polka. Ah. Oh, sorry. I, uh, mum, because it's English. I'm going with Reiner's mom. She's worse. I mean, not sorry. I'm going with Reiner's mom. <laughs> Historia's mom is worse, and Alma never repented. So. I would echo that. I'm going with Karina, and it kills me to say that. But at least she, at least she redeemed, somewhat redeemed herself. Yeah, I'm going with Alma. She always felt very tragic to me, and I, 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 I would defend her before I would defend Corinna. <laughs> no, I'm going to go with Corinna because I, at least she made Reiner feel <laughs> loved. You're just going to say she made Reiner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to go with Corinna because I don't think Alma ever gave Historia the idea that she was loved by her mother. I also don't know how much Alma, I don't know. I, I question how much Alma had choices. So I do too. I, there was like the power imbalance in that situation. I mean, it's possible she was a gold I digger. Mean, it's also yeah. possible she was well, just a real tragedy. It could be. We don't know enough. Yeah. But just based on the fact of how they love their children, you know, I can at least say Karina seemed to love Ryan. <laughs> I would say though that Alma, I don't want to debate this too much, but Alma never gave his story, like she never gave his story the time of day, which is almost a little better than like manipulating your kid. She never oh my God. Okay. Uh, I next don't question. Know. <laughs> <laughs> They're both awful. Thank you, Polka. This is lovely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we had such a lovely podcast. And so now we're going to all, you know, Ugh. argue on Twitter. Which was your favorite custom culture shown in the destruction scenes? I'm guessing he's talking about Black London and the Asian culture. Which might be his room. We'll call it his yeah. Black London. I liked both. I'm not choosing. <laughs> I, I loved Black London. Yeah, Black London for sure. I want to go visit. Ooh, okay. Uh, Alliance victory? Aaron victory or stalemate? Alliance victory. Alliance victory. Alliance victory. Yeah, alliance. Yay! Okay, we can agree on something. That's good. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> Montauk, you're going to love this one. Aaron is the father. Farmer Kuhn is the father. Fake pregnancy or other? Aaron is the father. Farmer. You just destroyed every goodwill you have. Puppet would right. <laughs> I'm gonna just I'm staying on fake pregnancy. You can't make me change my mind. Um, yeah, I'm going with farmer coon. <laughs> Puppet, you wound me so bad. <laughs> Luna with her heaven's not real, and now you with Aaron as the daddy. <laughs> Why I'm depressed. Okay, next. <laughs> huh. Connie or Rico, who is more relevant? And then <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not Connie. 
Connie. <laughs> Connie. <laughs> Connie. Yeah, Connie. <laughs> Polka was like on fire this time. This is this was good. Okay. Uh, Polka's hot takes. Um, do you agree? The destruction and cliff scenes uh, were the only great part uh, of this chapter, and the rest was okay at best. No, not at all. Fundamentally disagree. <laughs> Do not agree. Dude, Reiner transforming was the best scene, duh. <laughs> so disagree. And uh, it kind of ends on a lame note. Um, he says, How many, or asks, How many chapters at most do you think are left? But we kind of already discussed that. Do we think this is going to continue for like a whole nother year? No. No. Okay, good. <laughs> so, so, Puppet, you think three chapters, but the third chapter being double length. Yeah, that's my current bet. I, I, just either that or four. I say okay. three or four as well. Four being, like, if, it, if the question is which one, what is the most number, I say four. Mm, I could see it going to five, but five being like an epilogue sort of thing. And I agree with Luna on that. I just, I still think there's too much to tidy up. If characters are going to die, he needs time for those, and they take a lot of time. I could see that, yeah. Not if he puts them all in one chapter. I, they should <laughs> dies as one of the men. Maybe I'm wrong. I, you know. I mean, if knows? Connie dies, nobody cares. So that's, that's oh. a quick that. <laughs> was that it? That was it. Yeah, that was the quick fire. So. Good one, Polka. Very good. Yeah, you destroyed some new friendships. I'm very glad that you pulled through. <laughs> it was the perfect quick fire for this chapter. Because, yeah, just depressed me even more. Great. <laughs> well, that's it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I want to thank my friends Puppet and Hamlet so much for being with us. This I was um, saying during one of our breaks, this is probably the most relaxed I've been during a podcast in a long time because I just knew you guys were going to be incredible and I thought you were. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's been, it's been really fun. We've had Puppet back several times. I hope like we were talking about, you know, to get everyone back again before this ends. So uh, we'd like to thank everyone for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, we do have a Patreon and Ko-fi, but I think the best way that you can support us is just by letting us know that you're listening and that you're enjoying it. So um, you can send us a comment on YouTube or something. I fully second that. That being said, I do want to thank um, this month's Patreons, mostly Silarana and um, I'm just going to call you Tom because that's the easiest way for me to pronounce it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your generous donations. Hopefully we'll be making some changes to the podcast and actually put your money to good use. Um, we're still looking forward to transcribing our podcast. So thank you so much for making that possible. And as always, thank you, Simon, Taryn, and Kenny as well. Your support helps us a lot. It helps keep this podcast running. We really appreciate it. So, yeah, thank all of you so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for offering your hearts and your ears. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>